0: Stay up the week.
1: It's your boy Jordan,
0: and this is Desmond,
1: and welcome to episode 150 of Two Black Mm. Nerds. It's so right as that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have merchandise that's available now at Two Black Go check out our Nerds of Thunder collection inspired by Thor, Love and Thunder. We got T shirts, crew necks, stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those. Right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing a trio of new films, including the sequel to the Halloween cult classic, Hocus Pocus 2, the Marilyn Monroe fictionalized biopic, Blonde, and Paramount's new horror film, Smile. Also, we'll discuss Netflix's limited series about notorious serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Plus, we'll react to the latest episode of the Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with the review of the new TV special and album from Kid Cudi. Intergalactic. I never felt this way about a girl before.
0: I feel fantastic. <laughs> I know what these tingles are. Jabari. I'm Meadow. It's just butterflies. Such an angel. It is not just butterflies. That is fate. Angel. That is love. Love, love, oh. What is that, anyway? Do you trust me? It's the ability to capture a moment, stop time.
1: Because sometimes moments can get too big for us.
0: We get scared. We run, and then just like that,
1: the moment has passed. Love is the easiest thing in the world when it happens by accident. Doesn't get real until you do it on purpose. Now, this TV special is created by Scott Mescadie and Kenya Bears, and it's directed by Fletcher M- Mules, written by Ian Edelman and Maurice Williams, and is starring Scott Mescadie, Jessica Williams, Tyrone Griffin Jr., Timothy Chalamet, Laura Harrier, Harrier, excuse me, and Vanessa Hudgens. So, Intergalactic is the latest project from Kid Cudi, not only on the musical side of things, but also from an animated perspective in a short film or a movie, TV special, whatever you want to categorize it, As perspective, we've known that this project was in development for quite a while now. They actually signed this deal to make this TV special back in 2019, I believe it was. So they've been working on it for about three years. It ultimately did get sidelined as Kid Cudi was prioritizing the release of Man on the Moon Three, an album that we reviewed on this podcast that came out a couple of years ago. But now he was finally able to follow through on this grand vision that he has to release a TV special simultaneously with new music that also dropped. And so before we do talk about the music and really get into the album, we got to talk about the TV special because this feels like a really special moment, especially for an artist who's been around for such a long time like Kit Cuddy. He's probably the artist we've used the most on Two Black Nerds in terms of music. (laughs) I mean, we've used so much of his music. He's just, he's a favorite of ours, obviously. And I remember last year as well, we talked about the documentary a man named scott which caught us up mm. to where he's at right now which is a really incredible yeah. documentary on prime on prime video if you have not seen that but let's get into it man let's talk about everything as it as it surrounds intergalactic i'll pass it over to you to first talk about the tv special what were your thoughts and what was your reaction to, to watching this new project from kid cuddy
0: man when you think about kid cuddy you know you really do think about how different of a person he is um in in I think that's why a lot of people are also drawn to his music, so because even how different he is sonically, a lot of times people hear his music and feel something that you can connect to. Um, and again, as we described in the the documentary that we watched last year, he's just—I don't know—he's very honest with the the the, the person he is, and, and being being caught up with him is, I think, so important. Even coming into the context of what this age is for him, and so when when you hear that something like Intergalactic is coming out your ears peak because you're like, what, what's going on? You know, people have been putting out visual albums for a little bit now. It's still not the most popular thing in the world. I think it's because it's something hard to accomplish. Um, It's very, yeah, it's very much not an easy thing to do. Your your, your visuals have to match your music. You got to get in the studio first, then go explore what that looks like in a visual standpoint. Um, And that's not, yeah, it's just a very hard thing to do. And so intergalactic is such an interesting challenge that, again, there's not a lot of visual albums out there, but not only that, But this is, it's different, right? This isn't like when Beyonce dropped (laughs) self-titled where every single song had its own thing going on, right? It's more of an idea and an idea conveyed in the form of a movie, right? Versus, again, like Beyonce self-titled where every track is a new music video. This is like one big, can't even call it music video, but it's one big um, um, movie inspired buy an album and and i think that's different within itself we don't get a lot of stuff like that um and so yeah i was really excited to watch this man uh man i also love this movie is literally about a young artistic cat and he's trying to balance success and love right after he moves into his dream apartment in manhattan it ends up falling for his next door neighbor and i just think i have to preface this a little bit by saying i i'm not like Outside of movies and stuff, the biggest like romantic guy in the world. But I've always been a sucker for rom coms. Just something about even the bad ones sometimes. It was just like ah, that was funny. <laughs> like I enjoyed that. Um, and so I was I was very excited to watch this, knowing what it was. And man, I can't really words cannot describe. I think how much I appreciate this existing. Um, I, I I really love that. Just how special I think Kid Cudi. And, and Kenya Barris made this. It's not a. First of all, it's not even a team. I thought about being put together. Kenya Barris, what the the ish guy and Kid Cudi? How did they even meet? How do y'all know each other? Um, it's crazy, but it's it's it turned out to be I think a really good. Uh, a balancing act i think they were doing where both minds i think you could kind of see come out but really again it's the essence of this intergalaca album by kid cudi that 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 made it what it was and so it's a black love story man and it the reason it it, it moved me is because you know we're watching things that are catching up right Uh, uh, insecure it's catching up it's what like rom-coms have been behind for so long there's not a lot of black stories we've been talking about that for a while right the photograph and all these other kind of black movies that are coming up but we've never seen that in the animated form of fashion and so what that's part of what made this good is that it exists but also it did this thing where it was able to catch up without being I think overly just just egregious on the things that it's trying to catch up on, right? There's a lot of things in films that we haven't heard yet when it comes to the way people speak, you know, the whole dating in your 30s, or, you know, the millennials dating in general, the way social media is, the way there's like, texting rules and so we've been kind of talking about the stuff in she hulk a little bit but again we've never seen it in the black love context that intercollective brings us into and so i think that allowed me to really sit with it and not only be comfortable but laugh right there's like stuff in here that you laugh at because you've either seen it before or you like understand what's happening um in these very uh specific situations and so uh man other than that the the art the music the fashion everything that intercollective goes through just feels like a a a fun and somewhat ethereal experience right it sounds like when you listen to intergalactic the album we'll talk about in a second though the it sounds like i just really love the in-betweens in which they're weaving in the the music right he's he could be riding on a bike in the in the in the it's just a good transition for what's happening from scene to scene and that's really um yeah that's just that's just really good filmmaking outside of good music making but that's like i it Give us a feel if you're going to switch transitions. Don't just always just do it. Um, And and, and that's what it felt like. So uh, although it was it was very clearly an animated movie. Right. But the animation was felt good enough to me to it it was unique enough to make it feel like something fresh. Again, something I've never seen. Of course, I still got a little hints of that Spider-Man uh, uh, into the Spider versus you know uh, style, but I love that about it though. They said mm, we're kind of inspired by this, but let's take it and tweak it a little bit, make it a little more grown up. You know what I mean? Make it a little more. This is a black rom com kind of feel, and that, and that style I think really worked for me um, throughout the whole film. Um, see, I could talk about this for a while because I actually really, in case you can't tell, I really enjoyed this. Intergalactic was a, a good time for me, um, and so it it's definitely gonna turn it into a comfort movie for me though too. I can feel it. Again, um, the, the way it's, it's spacey, the way the music is embedded in it, the way, again, rom-coms a lot of times feel very comfortable to me. It's not somebody getting chopped in half. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's something that I feel like I can revisit while either paying attention or not really paying attention to something. It's colorful enough to have one in the background and still be appreciative of it. So, um, yeah, man, I, I I really like this movie. Um, and I, I hope other people do, too. It's 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 something very different in and, and, and Kid Cudi should be proud of what he has on his hands here.
1: This is a really incredible project. And you could just tell that there is a lot of love and energy poured into this. I've been working on it for three years, as we stated earlier. And Kid Cudi is at the place in his career where he's been around for such a long time now, where he doesn't even have to do anything like this. He doesn't have to necessarily challenge himself on this type of level. But the fact that he's still willing to do so says a lot about who he is as an artist, because we know earlier in his career, he was in really dreary and dark places. He was dealing with a lot of mental anguish, a lot of addiction issues and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And recently over the past few years, he's been able to overcome those demons. And I truly believe, though he always has created great music, I truly believe we are getting the best version of him. We're getting the the, the the really the maximal version of Kid Cudi because he can focus and allow himself to creatively splurge in these ideas. And he's talked about how his traditional rollout of albums and what people always do has just been boring for him lately. The idea mm. of Recording an album and then filming two music videos and then going on tour. He's just kind of over it at this point. And so he wanted to explore something completely different. And so coming up with this project, Intergalactic, was his way of doing so. It was initially conceived as a limited series, but ultimately Mm -hmm. transitioned into being this sort of TV movie. And I think all the better for it. I think that this separates itself from other visual albums, as you pointed out, in the fact that it's a narrative story. It's actually about something. It's not just visuals. ...to accompany the album or supplement the the music that we received, this can stand on its own. You don't even have to listen to Intergalactic, the album, to really understand what's happening here... ...because there's a narrative story, real characters, real voice actors behind them. And that's what makes it so special because... This is going to be a project that I think that anybody can tap into and be able to relate to. It is a rom-com, so we all can experience these things and these conversations about love and growing up and figuring out your place in the world as you're trying to hustle and grind and what that all means. And then to focus it in on the black experience makes it all that more special because how many examples do we have of black romantic comedies in the modern day context that are also animated, that are also incorporating fashion and a little bit of tech and art. Like, Mm -hmm. There's so many angles to this that we just typically don't see in other mediums that this makes it really special. And I can only imagine that with its access and its viewability on Netflix, this is something that can really stick around and grow and grow over time. Even if you're not a massive Kit Cudi fan, there's no reason that you couldn't tap into this and enjoy this. And on top of that, I actually think that the music could win people over if you're not a fan of Kay because it feels even more accessible than his past outings just because of the sort of magical nature to them and it's 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 more focused again than than his earlier projects because he is just overall in a better place and and watching this was was just such a tremendous experience for me the the visuals are beautiful I love the moments and the sequences where the music really sort of takes over and, and and gets into the driver's seat and you just go on these weird sort of trippy experiences but then we snap back to like the story at hand It never felt like they ever lost their footing and never felt like they got ahead of themselves they always were able to maintain mm-hmm. control of the story. And the last thing I'll say before we talk about the album, I, I really like that he he brought on people that he's actually really close with in real life. Like if you look at this and you don't know who's voice acting, you can look at these people <laughs> and tell who they are. It's pretty exactly. easy. And he's actually pulling people that he's really close with. You know, Timothy Chalamet and 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 Ty Dallasign. Like these are all people he's actually close with in real life. So it even makes the chemistry amongst the characters feel authentic and real. You can actually see that there's relationships between these people. So it's almost like you know them before you ever see them. And that that's not an accident. You know, I think that a lot of these are sort of composite characters made up of a lot of the real characteristics of who's voice acting them because they went as far mm-hmm. as to use the the resembling features, you know, on their on their character models, but beyond that, I just love that it feels so natural and real and organic and the whole dating piece and everything that they focused on there just felt so true to how things go right now. Just the the whole rules of texting and ghosting and just everything that falls underneath that Mm -hmm. man it just feels like a really relatable experience and also just like one of those things that again i think anybody can tap into regardless of whether or not you're a kid cuddy fan and so with that we have to talk about the album as well because it is so ingrained into this entire experience this is now his eighth studio album the man has been putting out work consistently for a long time now i mean if you count his other sort of collab projects his experimental work he really has like 10 or 11 albums, you know, and so that that, that, that includes Kitsy Ghosts or the WZRD album. Like, he's mm-hmm. been putting out a lot of work for a really long time now. He's also talked about how this might be the last album he makes for a really long time, possibly ever. I don't think that that's the case. I think he'll make an album again one day, but... To go back to the piece of being bored with just the, the idea of conceiving albums, mm-hmm. he's in a different space now. He's going to be directing a movie really soon for Netflix. He's acting. He was an ex earlier this year. The man is multifaceted. And so I think we'll get, we'll get work from him in other venues. But for the time being, this is the latest project we have. How did you feel about the music and listening to it on its own outside of the actual movie experience of Intergalactic? And then also, how do you think it fits in with just the narrative story that they told within the actual film itself?
0: Man, it is a intergalactic experience. That's really, I, I I know that's it's on the nose, but that's really, I think, what he set out to do here. He wanted the title, I think, to be accurate to the way in which you feel while you're listening to this album. And that's what it feels like to me. It feels like Kit Cudi has always been spacey, right? But this is, this is a different, I think, kind of journey when you put it in, in one context of the album where a lot of this is more lovey. You know what I mean? And then, then, then some stuff Kit Cuddy has done before. Kit Cuddy, of course, has done love songs, right? But there's also other songs in there talking about, I don't know, Ghost and marijuana and, you know what I mean, all these things. But but here there's a song called uh, My Drug, and she, he's talking about a girl <laughs> that's like his drug instead of, you know, just actual drugs by itself. Or, I don't know, is just a lot of things when, when you're listening to the album that makes it feel slightly more cohesive, than just the way things transition. I don't know what's happening. I feel like we're in an age where transitions are becoming increasingly important Um, because Beyonce's album, right, it's just like the transitions are ridiculous. But here we are here too in Kid Cudi's album and it's like, okay, one song is one part of of the space trip and then somehow you're on the other part. of Like if he could make a different, shorter album for this, I just imagine an entire I don't know what it like love space odyssey <laughs> that, that 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 exists within this album. Um, and and I can feel it while I'm listening to it too. There's so many like drum kits that feel good and so many classic kick cutty bass lines and hums and the things that I love, but there's enough newness to it to make me go, ooh. I like this song. I might have to run this back a couple times. Oh, I like this song too. I'm gonna have to run this back a couple times, and that—that's important to me when listening to an album, right? Of course, you want to listen to the whole thing. Of course, you want it to be cohesive, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But how replayable is it? And as of right now, i am am i am telling you, there's a lot of tracks on here that I know I'm going to revisit and that I enjoy. Um, and again, it's—it's it's cohesive enough for me to just say run the whole dang thing back <laughs> if you really want to. You know what I'm saying? And so, it—it—I say all that to say. It feels like classic Cudi, while giving us enough newness to 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 enjoy it, man. And, and and for that, I'm grateful because yeah, it just feels good when you listen to it. Um, so yeah, it's it's and in the context of the movie itself, it's great. There's I love the the small little segments within the film that give you time to like listen to this song, right? Look at look at these two people doing this thing let's play one of the songs from the album, but it, it's not just any other, any song though, it's like a song that works, a song that's actually talking about something where the album and the movie match up, um, and again, it's, it's, it's really something that, to to appreciate and love about that, because everyone doesn't do that all the time, I and mean, you think they do, but it's like, no, <laughs> this is very much different um, than what we're seeing, so I love how you can listen with colors in your mind too, because I actually decided to listen to the album after I watched the movie first, I said, Let me watch the movie first, Come on, listen to the album. But now when I listen to the album, I just I I can see the colors of the movie in my mind. I can see the album cover colors in my mind. I actually really love the color palette they use for the film and for the album cover. It's just really beautiful to me. I I really appreciate whoever was their the color artist. They they freaking killed it um, because it's more than what you see right there. It's, it's what you see after you start listening to the album, too. And so I got that. I appreciate that. Um, and yeah man i'm be i'm be i'm be bumping this thing for for a while it's 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 very fallish for me too so i'm i'm here i'm here
1: i i was wondering about the process of creating this all together because it, it, it's it's just so ambitious to want to simultaneously release music and then also like a experimental film alongside Mm -hmm. and just the pieces that have to align to make that work I, I I really can't fathom it I don't know what that process looks like but he talked about the idea of making the film first making intergalactic first and then focusing on the album second which is interesting to me because it almost creates this situation where he puts himself into a corner to really force him to maneuver and handcraft this music so that it fits the narrative of the story that he's telling within the film and I actually think it's all the better for it because Intergalactic feels like the more R&B focused side of Kid Cudi like it's not traditional R&B in the sense mm-hmm. of I think what we typically would associate it with it but but it's Kid Cudi's version of R&B because he is making more heavily romanced focused music here mm-hmm. and he's never been a guy that's done super lovey-dovey over affectionate stuff i I think we we've always known what his brand has been it's been darkness for for a lot of his career Mm, but now on the other side of it now that he's in a better place and he can create this really colorful vivid vibrant experience both visually and sonically it just works so well and the music is just so good and i actually found like the album sounds even better after listening or excuse me after watching the movie like i thought I thought that maybe by watching the movie first, because I did the same thing, I thought that I might have been spoiling myself, but that's Mm -hmm. not the case at all. There's still a lot to be discovered in the album and in the music when you listen to it on its own. So I think either way, you're going to be fine whether you want to listen to the album first and then watch Intergalactic on Netflix or vice versa, but I I, I was not spoiled by by the experience of watching the TV special. I thought that it actually the music only further enhanced everything that I felt about this entire project. And it's a really, it's a really, it, it's, it's really, it feels like a, a a magical daydream for a lot of it. And those transitions do work really well with how songs are sequenced. And I think that it's even better that he actually sequenced out the album in the appropriate order within the film as well. I, I just love the, the, the connectivity. I love the way that they're speaking to each other in that respect, because as I was watching the special, I was on Apple Music just scrolling, like, oh yeah, that song does come after that one. That does come after that one. I just, I think it all—it's just all so well intentioned and well thought Mm -hmm. out. And so when you get these tracks that you can just listen to outside of watching the the film, it creates a really full and whole experience. And so I I love the music. I think it might be his best project in years, to be honest. And I I really, I really enjoy Man on the Moon Three. I think that that's a a great album. But this one. The yep. fact that it's tied to this this movie, and and the fact that it's shorter, really, it's only forty five minutes, and you get really meaningful features here. Mm-hmm. Like you don't just get, you don't just get people that show up for for the sake of it. Like there are really meaningful features here, again, that also connect to what we see in the film. I think it all just creates for a really cohesive, really standout project amongst his entire discography. So I overall enjoyed it. Um, any standout tracks for you? I think I think uh, all of these are really. Top tier music, but but for me, the Willing to Trust track with Ty Dolla on is great. I All love right. New Mode and Do What I Want. Do What I Want is like heavily featured in the trailer and in the film itself. Those those are the ones that stick out for me. Anything that that, that really that really sort of stand out for you amongst the track list?
0: Yeah, Do What I Want, of course. Um, I agree with with Willing to Trust. Somewhere to Fly is gonna be one of those that it it can be on repeat anywhere in the house <laughs> it's just one of those man it has really good drums Don Tolliver literally without Kid Cudi is there a Don Tolliver <laughs> like in my oh, mind, wow. Kit, in my mind K- Kid Cudi split himself and made two kids he made Travis Scott he made Don Tolliver <laughs> and those you know what I'm saying those two people and every time they're on the track with him there's a reason those songs end up so well because it's like those are his his music children in my mind so I really like in to Fly um so yeah I'm going to go with those three man pretty much all the same tracks but I'm sure just the way it's it's moving right now something else will will pop up on me and be like yeah this is another favorite for you um so yeah
1: yeah I have to agree I'm, I also want to shout out In Love that that's another really really spectacular track I love just the way it sounds and the way that it, it it's it, it's sequenced and and how it also really ties into the I think the middle portion of the film as well. It's, it's a really pivotal moment of, of the film. And so I just love that track too. So overall, really, really excellent stuff from Kid Cudi. I just can't wait to see what he does next. He has a film on the way. I'm sure more music will eventually come, regardless of how he feels at this moment. But we'll have to see. But those are our thoughts on Intergalactic, both the TV special and the album. If you've seen or listened to any of these new projects from Kid Cudi, definitely hit us up and let us know what you're thinking. With that being said, let's transition and talk about our next film, the sequel to the Halloween cult classic, Hocus Pocus 2. I banish thee from Salem! <gasps> Forever. They were right to fear thee. Magic has a way of uniting.
0: Happy 16th birthday, child. I have a gift for my favourite customers. Legend has it, it's on the 16th birthday that a witch gets her powers. Candle. We have to get out of here. The witches will be here any second. Ah! The, the book is alive. He woke up?
1: <gasps> if we intend to live past sunrise, we have to steal their souls.
0: Whoa, 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 wait. Can we talk about this? No. <laughs> <laughs> we must fly! <laughs> We're going of vengeful maniac obsessed with getting revenge on salem sounds very bad for salem we should get some salt why so we taste better when they eat us It's not six feet under stop i am a good zombie
1: now this movie is directed by ann fletcher and it's written by jen d'angelo and starring bett midler Sarah jessica parker Kathy and jimmy sam richardson doug jones whitney peak belissa escobedo tony hale and hannah waddingham and so hocus pocus 2 is something we found out a couple of years ago we found out that they were officially developing a sequel at the disney investor day back in 2020 and I think there was collective excitement amongst all of us who've grown up on Hocus Pocus for all of these years. It's been one of those films that gained new life over the course of the subsequent years after its release. It famously flopped at the box office. Hocus Pocus was not this gigantic hit when it was released in theaters. <laughs> it actually came in fourth place at the box office of the particular weekend it came out. So did not Oops. do that well. They released it directly against Free Willy, which was like a huge hit at that time. But... Yeah. Over the subsequent years, it just grew and grew and grew in terms of its status because of cable and all of the repeat viewings that people were able to participate in. And so 30 years later, nearly 30 years later, they were able to get back the original Sanderson sisters to make the sequel that just debuted this past week on Disney+. And so we finally got a chance to check out this film. With that being said, man, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about Hocus Pocus 2?
0: I think Hocus Pocus 2 really does work as... A cute successor (laughs) to Hocus Pocus One. It, it. There's something about Hocus Pocus One that I think a lot of us really couldn't put our fingers on. Part of it's nostalgia, absolutely, but part of it is just the magic of the Sanderson Sisters. Something about the enticement of the Sanderson Sisters of that film just felt like Halloween. Every time Halloween came around, Hocus Pocus is on. Every time Halloween came around, Hocus Pocus is on. And I think it's, it's one of those things that's really hard to recreate. You know, you think about your favorite. I don't know, any movie. Think about your favorite Christmas movie and think about how hard it is to try to make a sequel to that film in, like, today. It's probably 20, 25 years ago they made your favorite Christmas movie, you know? If not older than that, and, you know, thinking about making a sequel is just, yeah, it's just a very difficult thing to do. And so coming into Hocus Pocus 2, I realize that, right? That's like a, you got some big, you got a big chip on your shoulders because a lot of people over the course of time have gained to love this hocus pocus film with these very specific witches right i'm i'm very glad they didn't change the cast of this film that would have been like okay this isn't hocus pocus anymore what is this but um they maintained the cast and that gets excitement out of people right especially it gets it gets excitement out of me i'm like hell yeah everybody's coming back that's exactly what i want to hear um and and after watching it man i've I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. It's it's a, it, Again, it's a cute follow-up to the film. I think there's a lot of good things here that they did that I'm happy they did. One of the big ones is that they gave the new cast kind of their own story, right? This isn't like a repeat, the Sanderson sisters are back, comp- uh, and this is, I don't know. It's just not Hocus Pocus 1. The story is not the same. This is very much still focused on this new friend group trying to find themselves within uh uh the the city of Salem right and in in what that looks like for them um and and I like that they added that to it because I think if you 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 give us too much of the old then it's like okay we've been here done that but they they mixed in enough of the been here done that and the newness to keep me at least engaged within the film and I I really appreciate that about it I have to talk about the first 10 minutes there's a young Sanderson sisters a uh, uh, part of the film, and I have to say, they were killing it. What is this young actress's name that was playing uh, Winifred? I can't even find it. But listen, this little girl was going stupid in her ten minutes of fame. I was like, put her <laughs> in everything. Like she, she was like, okay, it's my time to shine, and she really, she really ate it. Um, so kudos to her because she, she, she helps get you in, in the first ten minutes of the movie, where the first ten minutes is a, uh, it's a, it's a um, flashback to Old Salem. Um, so I thought that was that was really cool as well. But I think the only thing that was really missing for me in this film was like another this is the song kind of thing for the movie. They there there is another song in this film, but it's a song we we've, we've already heard before. And I think that took me out of it a little bit. I was waiting for not like I put a spell on you too. You know what I'm saying? That's like the thing. Not that you bring that song back, but you bring that new I don't know, like another one of those to this film. And instead, they went with like an older song that we had heard before. And that, yeah, it was just weird for me. I wasn't ready for that. Because um, that's what I was looking to the most. I was like, uh oh, what song are they going to put in this movie? And then they just, I don't know. I, I feel like they dropped the ball there musically. Um, because that's, I think that also is what makes Hocus Pocus, right? That moment where the Sanderson sisters are singing in the party and everyone is, that's literally part of the, 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 um, the Draw of the film and why people love it people when they talk about hocus pocus they go back to that moment because that is that that's what we know and that's what we love about the movie i was just yeah i was looking for another powerful music moment like that i'm not sure i 100 percent got it but i think as a again a cute follow-up as a story the young actresses did it did what they uh, did what they did it's just one of those things where a sequel is a sequel it's 2022 at least it looks good um and and yeah i'm not mad that it exists because it's his own thing so it, it it's it's yeah it's something to watch it's not the greatest sequel ever it's not anything like that nor does it match up to the original but i i i'm i'm happy that it exists enough for me to for me to have, watch it um so yeah i appreciate it
1: yeah the entire hollywood trend over the past decade plus has been the legacy sequel bring it back in a cast of of people who haven't done the original film in some odd years maybe it's 10 years 20 years 30 years some cases 40 years later and we we've gotten a ton of those it's star star wars the force awakens halloween top gun maverick just came out mad max fury road there's there's so many examples mm-hmm. of, of 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 films that have that have brought back their original players and I think to varying degrees we see that in some cases it works and probably in most cases it doesn't. It doesn't really recapture the magic because it's an incredibly hard thing to do to bring back people and release a film. There, there. I think there's definitely more examples of where it doesn't work as opposed to the ones that just stand out head and shoulders above the rest of the pack. But as it relates to Hocus Pocus this feels a little bit different just due to the nature of the history of this IP within Disney because as I said at the top This was never a movie that was hugely successful to begin with. It didn't make a massive amount of money at the box office. It was actually a flop. It mostly got mixed to negative reviews. People didn't really like it, but thanks to Disney Channel and ABC Family, over the course of the subsequent years, it gained new life. And that's part of the reason I miss how things used to be, just to be honest. Like, streaming is really kind of made all of that go away and disappear. Like things mm-hmm. had an opportunity to gain steam over time if if presented the opportunity to do so. And that's exactly what happened with Hocus Pocus. Every single year, ABC family would play the movie literally every night like that's how something can become good because people are going to keep watching it and it becomes one of the most rewatched things that a lot of us grew up on it grew up on from that particular generation and so the fact that they decided to revisit it now I think Mm -hmm. actually made sense because it was not something that ever popped off that big to begin with. And then to go even further and say like, oh, this is going to make s- the most sense on Disney+. Plus. Like, we're not going to put a ton of money behind it for a theatrical release because it never was that successful anyway. We're going to put it on Disney+. Plus. I actually think that that was the mistake that Blade Runner 2049 made when it came out. That mm-hmm. was never this huge, mm-hmm. massive hit. It was a cult film, really, that grew over time. But right. they put like $200 million behind it. It didn't make its budget back. They made a smart decision here with the release strategy of this film and just the, the time that we had to wait. And so in doing so and bringing back these original people, Bette Midler, Kathy Najimy, Sarah Jessica Parker, they're fantastic. They are absolutely wonderful. They fall right back into these roles so easily 29 years later. It's actually kind of crazy that they can just so effectively – recapture that magic of of these particular Sanders, Sanders sisters. I just love everything that they did in this movie cuz that chemistry is still there, that love and also that kind of vitriol amongst them is still there. And I love the consistency in how they act towards each other from the first film into the second film. Like mm-hmm. you still see Winnie like physically abusing Sarah <laughs> and Mary. Like she still punches them yeah. and slaps them randomly. Like that's all stuff she did in the first movie. She would beat the shit out of them all the time. She would mm-hmm. constantly berate them verbally. All that stuff is still there. Sarah is just being wacky and and aloof all over the place. The thing that we kind of lost in this one is her flirty nature. I think that they didn't want to really ah, that's true. Go into that that much just because it might mm-hmm. it might give off the wrong impression. But she's still just like doing her own thing off on the side. And Mary is just kind of an idiot in many respects, and is always she getting turned the short up this movie a little bit? She did, she did. She definitely had some moments where I was like, oh okay, wait, you're actually kind of going a little bit above time. and beyond. Yeah rising, yeah, rising to the occasion. So. They all did great for me. You know, I think ultimately the the, the issue with the film is that there's a couple things. One, I do think it was too long. I think it was probably like 10 minutes too long. They could have cut out some Mm -hmm. stuff. It would not have been the the beginning prologue. I do think that the flashback stuff that they brought in here was effective. It's a nice way to get us back into this world, but also still make us wait as an audience to see the traditional Sanderson Mm -hmm. sisters. So I like what they did there. But the runtime was a little bit long for me, and I think that they could have cut out a lot. And I also found that the first half of the movie was stronger than the second half because something weird happened at the midway point with the story. I just became I just became uninterested. It, it, it didn't feel like the story was strong enough to maintain the course of its runtime because the goals and objective of the Sanderson sisters. I mean, they were clear because they're kind of similar to the first film, but it right. felt like they just got lost in the shuffle a bit. And it might have been because they wanted to give a little bit more time to spend with the with the girl characters who are not the witches, just like the ones that we're sort of rooting for in the film. But I, I just don't I don't think that that stuff was that strong. You know, really, the strength of this is your three primary mm-hmm. actresses in these roles. And there were there were a lot of moments where I felt like the focus was kind of lost. And so I found that the first half of the movie was better than the second half. And even in that respect, the 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 laugh and the comedy, which is really important to this movie, because. Hocus Pocus has always been super campy. It's it's a really campy, over the top movie. It's not meant for to sure. take itself so seriously. I think a lot of the comedy in the first half also worked better and uh, worked better than the second half as well. I felt I found that a, a lot of that comedy was kind of lost by that point, and so it, it fell off of a cliff for me in in, in some respects. I, I do think that the momentum and the energy and all of that mm-hmm. stuff just kind of disappeared before the end of the film, which was which was disappointing. So I think maybe. Maybe with the shorter runtime, it could have been a little bit more focused and a little bit more contained in what they were trying to achieve here. But it's fine, man. It's totally fine. Like this is not this is not ever going to be a Mad Max Fury Road or a Top Gun Maverick. It was never meant to do <laughs> exactly. that. Like it's just meant to 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 bring us back into the world with these characters and to remind us of why we fell in love with that first one so much. But that first one is just kind of crazy. It's 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 weird how how zeitgeisty it's become every Halloween, how much of a focal point mm-hmm. it's become. But when you look back at the first movie, even though it wasn't this massive hit, there's a lot of stuff they did right. Like the practical effects in that movie are great. The cinematography is really strong. There's a lot of great sets that they build. It captures the essence of fall and Halloween in a way that mm-hmm. we don't see all that often because it is set in Salem so that it has its own vibe and energy. And so a lot of that is, it's they, they they try to really bring us back into that world, but I don't know if they ever can match the heights from any of those respective levels i think just to be truthful the craftsmanship in the first movies it it far exceeds what they did here you know there were a couple of moments of the visual effects where i was like that looks that looks very shoddy that doesn't look that great um some of the cinematography is really good some sequences and some Mm -hmm. some of the sets that they built really work but there's some other moments where i think that they could have put a little bit more time and attention to them but overall fine experience it, it, it delivered about what i was expecting it to um so it didn't necessarily exceed or fall beneath my expectations but i think i think if you're a fan of the first one if you really enjoy that one if you watch it every spooky season like many of us do there's no reason you really shouldn't enjoy this one because it mostly de- delivers upon all of the reasons we fell in love with the first one in, in in the beginning so i think it's mostly a success in that regard and it's probably going to do some really positive business for disney plus in terms of people that do some cool double features watching the first and second one together but we will certainly have to see but those are our thoughts on Hocus Pocus 2 if you've seen this movie definitely hit us up and let us know what you think and with that being said we're going to transition to our next film and talk about the brand new fictionalized biopic film around Marilyn Monroe that just debuted on Netflix Blonde here yeah. please come don't depend to me
0: she's coming
1: hey. Grow cold as
0: girls grow old And we all lose our charms in the end It's then that those lusts go back to their spouses that is are a girl's best friend She's coming. She's almost here.
1: Now, this movie is written and directed by Andrew Nomenik, and it's starring Ana de Armas, Adrian Brody, Bobby Cannaval, Xavier Samuel, and Julianne Nicholson. So, Blonde recently premiered at a festival. I believe it might have been the Venice Film Festival. It's had a little bit of controversy surrounding the film, even before its release, because Mm -hmm. it notoriously got an NC-17 rating. Which, how many films come out every year where you get an NC-17? It it usually never happens, because at that point, when you have an NC-17 movie, if you were to release it in theaters, I mean... Nobody's really going to be able to see it. it. It's pretty. It's pretty much kind of banned from that respect. Like nobody's just going to walk into an NC-17 movie now. Whether or not it deserves it, that's a whole nother conversation. Which you know, whatever it is, what it is. But it had a lot of. It had a lot of talk around it because of that fact, and it, also, you know, Marilyn Monroe is. One of the most iconic and famous people that's ever lived. I mean, everybody knows what she looks like. Everybody has heard the "Happy Birthday to You" song to to JFK. Mm-hmm. Everybody's seen the images, the posters. I mean, she's been she's been commercialized in a way over the past fifty plus years that 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 we typically never see out of anybody. It's kind of it's kind of rare you see somebody become so mythical. Because of just who they were for, for a very short amount of time. Marilyn Monroe was, was not around that long. She, and she died really, really young. And so I think it's fascinating to take a look at, at who she was as a person and try, to, and try to take that and examine it in this feature film. But it's also based off of a book that came out quite a while ago in 2000. And so Andrew Dominic, the director has been developing this movie for quite a while. It's been a personal passion project of his. I think he's been working on it for like 12 years at this point. But it's finally out. It's on Netflix. It's available for everybody to see. And so with that said, man, I'll pass it over to you. What did you ultimately think about this brand-new film, Blonde?
0: I'm not even Like, man, I don't even know where to start. You you know where you, like... Watch a movie that is tied to a book, and you're like, "Huh, oh, that book might be interesting." I feel like I might hate the book now. I don't know. Like, I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd ever be interested in reading about this 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 novel. It's crazy. It's a best selling novel too. So, like, you know, I'm sure there were a ton of people who were interested in 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 read it. But now, after watching this. I'm I'm okay. Um, I'm sorry, Joyce Carol Oates, who wrote the book, but uh, you're not getting my money, <laughs> uh, man. This is a very I will I won't say it's not interesting, right? Uh, I haven't as much Marilyn Monroe content as I've gotten over the years. None of them have ever come in the form of a uh, uh, a film such as this, right? One that blurs the lines between fact and fiction. One that feels I don't know, very, very much dreamy, one that has a big actress tied to it, like Ana de Armas. I've just never seen it. I've never I've, I've never watched it. And so I, I have to say I was interested. I was like, okay, Ana de Armas is playing Marilyn Monroe, which is in itself, I initially made no sense to me. Ana de Armas is not a white woman. I was like, what are we doing here? And in fact, I learned that throughout this film, they had to go back and change a lot of audio because Ana de armas's accent was too strong. <laughs> what? Like, I love Ana de Armas to death. But all these white women in Hollywood and you picked her? Why? <laughs> what was like, I just trying to, like, what was the reason? I, I cannot. As I was watching it, I was like, why? Why? I just couldn't figure it out. Ana de Armas, of course, she she is cute. She's beautiful. She does there are certain facial things that you can make her look like Marilyn Monroe, but you there's no way that you thought like this was gonna be 100 percent easy for her to pull off. It because she's a she she has a strong accent. Go watch any of her roles. You can hear her accent very clearly. So I don't know. It's just a very interesting choice. Um say all that to say, this movie is absolutely not for me, man. It's two hours and 47 minutes too long. Um, it is the the Andrew Dominic does this thing in the film where you just continuously, I'm I'm going to tell y'all straight up. This movie has a lot of things dealing with Marilyn Monroe and her, uh, uh, either abortions or miscarriages in it. And they're just fetuses just keep popping up on the screen. And I'm like, why are you, what is this? What are, what are we doing here? Is this the whole movie? <laughs> like we just kept going back to that. And, and he keeps trying to do like these weird dream sequences that are supposed to mean things. I, I don't the style often as much as I actually so I gave this movie a couple points for a style. Like there's a lot of cool black and white shots in here. That I was like, okay, that's shot really well. I like that. But it doesn't matter cuz what are we talking about? Like what is what is the conversation to be had about this film? This movie never does Anna Day Armis's portrayal of Marilyn Monroe any Marilyn Monroe any service for us to be like, oh, maybe that's how she really was. Instead, it's just like a, this is her trauma over and over and over and over. This is her trauma. This is how it was. This is how – and some of it is is also funny because historians have talked about this film. They're like, well, some of this is definitely not – you know, some of this is opinionated. Some of this we really don't know about. Some of this is, is, is definitely – uh, uh, fiction that they're they're trying to exploit and this and that and I'm not always mad at that stuff right it's a film sometimes you have to have, add a little bit dramatization to it to make it but this again it, every time yeah every time there was some new sequence or some panning in on uh, Marilyn Monroe's nakedness it just didn't feel like we were here to watch a real movie I don't know we were just here to it was like the definition of Marilyn Monroe vibes, trauma vibes for two hours and 47 minutes. And that's not why I came here to watch the film. I thought the point of the movie was to learn about the person in which that we were talking about. Um, There's a, there's a, a couple things in it that I feel like they touch on, but they never get into. Right. They do. They do a little bit right where really it's about Marilyn Monroe being the blonde. There's a moment in the movie where, uh, I forgot. Do you remember the name of the movie? Is it is it is she blonde in love with the blonde? What's the name of that damn movie? There, there's a movie in here that has blonde in the title. Marilyn Monroe was being paid like five thousand dollars, while the other woman in the movie was being paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But she, she, she was the blonde in the title. I want more of that. Like, tell me the ways in which she was screwed over. Mm-hmm. Like, and focus on those things versus like, I don't know these weird. Um, like I don't mind knowing about her love triangles and stuff but they they harped on that stuff for so much and so long and these again the miscarriages and the relationship with her father I don't know there's just a lot of stuff in it that didn't feel focused because it was so much going on in two hours and 47 minutes and then you wasted time trying to give us these dream sequences that to me never ended up really making sense with the greater picture of the film so yeah it, it it it's very much a letdown, but it's also just hard to watch because it's just trauma for no reason. Um, so, yeah, I, I like the way some of the stuff is shot. Ana de Armas is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Don't 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 get that twisted. She still did what she came to do. None of this is her fault, except for maybe saying yes to the movie, knowing that. I don't know. <laughs> you didn't have to say yes to this movie. You know, your accent's too strong for some Marilyn Monroe. But it it yeah, I say all that to say it's it's a no for me, dog. I um yeah, it's a no oh
1: man i i too do not know where to start with this film i'm actually a fan of andrew dominic he's made movies that i enjoy killing me softly or excuse me killing them softly is uh it's a really it's a really cool crime drama that came out a long time ago with brad pitt that i that i still watch occasionally and also he did the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford also featuring brad pitt which is Similarly, a very long and slow and methodical movie, but there's actually something to say. and visually, it's incredible. it's it's done and shot by the great Roger Deacon. So he's done things that I that I actively enjoy. And so I'm like, OK, this is a this is a well-established veteran filmmaker who clearly has a take and a visual style that I'm totally in for, because I love when when a visual artist can come in and also incorporate that on, on top of a story and an interesting take about somebody that we're very familiar with and, and really reestablishing or, or recreating sort of a new ideology about. Who they are and how their their image and their iconography fits fits in with the context of of, of the culture and, and how we talk about these people, mm-hmm. and Marilyn Monroe again is is one of the most recognizable people in the world, and, and and to be honest, famously, I mean, she's been objectified for the longest time. She has largely been associated as a sex sex symbol, not only then but still to to this day, right? And so this film was presented as as an idea of of speaking to some some sense of feminism and and maybe maybe establishing some power in that. And that that completely gets lost in me because this entire experience was was absolutely brutal to watch. It was so painful to sit here for as long as the film is, nearly three hours, and experience whatever it is he was trying to say about about this this very famous and iconic figure. And for for all of the stuff that she probably personally went through, and for as important as those things are to, to, to tell and to and to recreate for this particular narrative story, the way in which it's done feels so – it just feels so wrong and, and almost deplorable to a certain extent because the movie is just it, – it's unrelenting in how bleak it is and how cynical it is about Marilyn Monroe and her existence and what she went through. First of all, the runtime is – It's punishing to to be, to be frank. Like almost three hours of agony after agony after agony is just something that I don't know how anybody can just naturally sit through. Nonetheless, sit through in an uninterrupted viewing experience. And the fact that we focus so much on the traumatic experiences of Marilyn Monroe, whether they're true or not, the fact that this is infused in the film, it it, it speaks to just what the ultimate intention behind this is. And I think I I don't know. I don't want to speak for the director by any means, but I don't see how you can naturally disassociate yourself from all of the stuff that's already previously come out about her about being the sexualized person where people only viewed her as as a sexual object because your film didn't necessarily do anything differently here. It, it's it's speaking to a lot of those same ideas and it it becomes, I think, to a point dehumanizing for her and who she was because th- this was a real person. Marilyn Monroe did exist and. No biopic is ever going to tell the 100% truth about the objects that they're depicting, the people that they're depicting. That That's just, if you believe that, that's that's folly. It doesn't exist. There's always dramatization. There's always fictional things that are incorporated into stories. It's a movie or a book or whatever the case may be. It's it's something different at the end of the day. It's not a documentary. But to bring this into the depiction of this person and and, and deliver it on such a medium in which so many people can, can watch it. It's dangerous to be honest. I think it's dangerous to watch something like this and to walk away with any sort of notion or idea that you might know a little bit more about Marilyn Monroe as a person because I never felt that watching this. I felt like we were literally watching somebody <laughs> get punished over and over and over for no good reason. And 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 what's what's even crazy to me is that I really thought that coming into the experience because it is so long, I thought that all right, this first hour is really fucking rough. Like the first hour is probably the worst of it, to be honest with you. They don't hide what's 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 what this film is about. But I thought that maybe on the other side of that, for the remainder of the runtime, we would get some of the some of the fame, some of the stardom, some of the really the really charismatic things about her, who she was as a person and the fact that she did achieve an enormous amount of success while she was alive. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't get any of that, and so. Once I realized that that was not going to ever be a thing, and it was just going to continue to be agony and pain and suffering, I was really confounded at the whole experience, and ultimately questioned why? Why does this exist? Why do, that? Why do we have this movie, especially in a climate where I feel like we get a lot of movies like this? They they don't they they're not as damning as this one, but like I think about Spencer and I think about Jackie, you know, which came from Pablo Lorraine. You know, he's he's taking these stories about historical figures and. Puts them through the ringer. He punishes them too, but not to this degree. This this just goes on a completely different level in terms of what you have to watch a person endure and go through and just the 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 brutality and, and the and the harm that, that that she experiences throughout this movie. It's just grim. That's the best word you can that you can use to describe it. It's a really grim outlook on her life, her contributions, or whatever it is you want to deem her as, you know, or how you perceive her. I just I just I, I just don't understand it. I, I don't understand the goal and the, the intention of this outside of creating this visual lookbook for 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 her mm-hmm. life and 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 it, and it does that well. The stuff that it does with aspect ratios and color changes and all that stuff is it's really well done and it looks yep. great from that perspective. But fuck that it's you when when a movie is like this that stuff is almost irrelevant at that point mm-hmm. because of just how much they focus on the pain and the suffering of a person and that's just never fun you know i think that that's something that we we don't typically look for especially out of a, out of a real human being you know it's different if this was like complete fiction but it's not now we have something out there as a, as a living breathing document which renders this person's experience as joyless and and is nothing but suffering and Again, I just I think that that's dangerous. I don't know really what that says about him as a filmmaker or where we are with like the stuff that we like to view, but I, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be interested to know if anybody actually enjoyed watching this because I, I certainly did not. So can't really say much more about it. Those are our thoughts about Blonde, the new film on Netflix. If you've checked it out all three hours of it, definitely hit us up mm-hmm. and let us know what you think. And with that being said, let's transition to our last movie we're going to talk about this week, a brand-new film from Paramount that just got released in theaters, a new horror film entitled Smile.
0: My name is Dr. Rose Cotter. What do you want from me? Why is it that everybody else who's seen it is dead and you're alive? I've seen it too. (laughs) You? You have it. Get away from me! Get away from me! It's smiling at me. Carl? Not a friendly smile. The worst smile I've ever seen. I am not going to keep running.
1: I have to face it. Now, this movie's written and directed by Parker Finn and is starring Sosie Bacon, Jesse T. Usher, Kyle Gallner, Caitlin Stassi, Cal Penn, and Rob Morgan. And so Smile is a movie that's been previewed for a little bit now. It's been been quite a time for horror movies this year. 2022 has showcased, I think, some really excellent horror across the board in terms of just the hit rate. It's been very consistent. Everything hasn't been tremendously successful but there have been a lot of really good horror films this year and it seems like we continue to talk about them almost on a weekly basis at this point a lot of horror films that have been you know sort of ushered into this late summer early fall time period of the year have worked for me in in, in a lot of respects and smile is the latest one coming also from paramount pictures which they've had a very very successful year but this is something i know we were both looking forward to just based off the previews and everything that it that that that, that it looks like it was going to deliver upon we both got a chance to check it out this past weekend. And so with that being said, I'll turn it over to you. What did you think about smile?
0: So after witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient, Dr. Rose Cotter, this is so weird. I expect to see Connor every time. Cotter, C O T T E R. So weird. Starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain as an overwhelming terror begins taking over her life. Rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive and escape her horrifying new reality that is what smile or the synopsis of smile man and it is another good time in the movie theater um I again i might be jumping the gun slightly here but we've we've kind of been talking about this and and after watching this film we're in like a little horror baby renaissance right where it feels like People were sick of the bullshit <laughs> when it came to these horror films And the year 2022. Again, I have to say, so far for for me personally, is the most consistent year for horror for a while. I don't know if y'all know this, but we've been talking about some semi bangers <laughs> on here, um, and Smile somewhat falls in line with that. Man, it's it's it very much what one of the things off the bat that Smile wins at versus actually a lot of the other films that we've seen this year is jump scares. They were killing it in jump scares in this movie. And I think, though, I think some of the other movies we watched this year were slightly better. Man, when it came to actual scary, we talk about horror versus scary. When it came to actual scary the, the 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 theater was jumping man and we haven't gotten that a lot I feel like. We've been getting a lot of cool like tension moments. Like, ooh, that was a good horror moment. That was good here and that. But Smile was like, oh shit. Oh shit. You know what I mean? It was like niggas was throwing popcorn. It was crazy. I was like, okay, I like this. I I, I mess with that. And so I really appreciate that. Um smile comes in, man, and it has So much creepiness embedded within it, right? Uh, People see the trailers, but if you look over and see somebody smiling at you, (laughs) crazy—it's like it's already a creepy thing. But just imagine it in a horror film context. It's like, ooh, it gives you the chills a little bit. um, In in which people, because it goes against like the human condition, where it's like we can we do we do smiles in um, um, what, what word am I looking for? We we smile in moderation right nobody's just walking around with smiles on their face and especially a lot of people don't smile in times of uh of discomfort and so this film uses that this film uses those weird moments of some you turn and someone's smiling at you to make you feel uncomfortable or they're going through something that shouldn't they shouldn't be smiling at and they're smiling and giving you the most uh uh random facial expression that they probably shouldn't be giving you in at that time um, and so man as a first time director man I think young Finn here is is really doing a lot of good things and there's a lot of good camera, movement here there's a shot I can't I'm not gonna tell you the shot but there's a shot in darkness very early in the film it's one of the early I don't even know if it's considered a jump scare this is one of the the ones I would consider just a really good horror moment but it was shot so well where you can place something scary in a shadow in a corner of a room and you just sit there I kind of talk about that with like hereditary right there's a moment Tony Collette's like I'm chilling and shit and (laughs) this kind of this 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 did that for a little bit it's not the same effect but this did that a little bit and I was like damn I really love this shot here because it's creepy it allows you to look and kind of absorb what's happening on the screen and so smile had a couple moments like that too uh, uh that I really enjoyed um I, will, I One last thing I want to add. I actually really love the ending of this film. I love the last 30 minutes. I was like, yes, that is how this movie should end. I ten, I was like, yes. I walked out of the theater so happy just because the way it ended. Um, you know, People know it's no matter what it is, endings can be hard for anything. An album, a movie, a book. Endings are just really fucking hard. And I think Smile brought it home better than I thought it would. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really appreciated that about the film um shout out to to really all the actors in here um but uh Sozie, is that her name sozi bacon yeah shout out to sozi bacon she did a tremendous job leading this film it's really is following her through in and throughout she was on screen the whole time um and, and yeah she did a really good job man she i gotta give her props for sure um on, on her performance here but shout out to the rest of the cast too I, I think they all were doing a pretty decent job um jesse ushers in this movie it's funny because as watching them i couldn't help it i was just like a train's here <laughs> not being problematic for once thank goodness <laughs> I, know. I was like oh this is weird and in the movie he's like accomplished <laughs> you know what i mean he's like a normal guy <laughs> I was like oh shoot okay jesse usher that's what's up um but oh uh Robin Wagart too I got to give a small shout out to her Wagart. um she she has a a a a role in the movie that I I really like too actually um that I some stuff I didn't see coming so man uh I say all that to say I really enjoyed Smile it's it's again this it helps it's just another another we got another one is what I'm trying to say when it comes to horror films this year. I'm I'm really proud of the work they did here. I'm happy that there's more scared jumps here. It's it makes it rewatchable to me. Like I now feel like I can be like, oh, it's Halloween? Let's throw on some smile. You know what I'm saying? It feels like one of those. Like, and I and and I'm really proud to say that because again, we haven't been getting that in these past couple of years. So yeah, this year's knocking out of the park. Smiles add into the the long list of of horror films that I really appreciate this year. So um yeah, I'm I'm glad that we're here, man.
1: I failed to mention at the top, The Smile is actually based on Parker Finn's short film that he did a while ago called Laura Hasn't Slept. And so this is material he's already familiar with. It was an 11 minute short film now expanded to a feature feature length movie, which is a challenge in and of itself to now have Mm -hmm. to tell a complete story from beginning to end that that sustains itself over the course of two hours And in that case, it's also longer than most horror movies, which we typically see them clocking at that 80 or 90 minute runtime. This is going for the full two hours. And so I was interested to see what this was going to present to us. And and ultimately, Smile is something that I absolutely loved. I really, really enjoyed this movie because of one one overarching thing. And it's really simple. It actually scared me. This was a pretty frightening experience for me in the movie theater, (laughs) which... Almost never happens. There's a few examples, and we try to talk about them quite frequently on this show, but most films that actually scare me are things that I view when I was a little bit too young. They're often from previous decades, from 70s or the 80s, and they leave a really indelible mark on me. It's rare that a newer film can do so, but the way that Smile is framed and set up and just presented to us and rendered as a film experience, it's ultimately terrifying because there is so much disturbing and creeping imagery that i just cannot i can't shake the imagery in my head like there are things that will Mm -hmm. literally stay with you as you walk out of the theater because it's really frightening what what they put on screen here and i think that the way that it's executed as you said the camera movements the way they utilize space and and all of those things just aid to the story that they're trying to tell here because it is a story that's that's a little bit derivative. We've seen it before. I know you you and I both have seen it follows and so that's right. a movie that's done a very similar concept about some inexplicable frightening terror that is somehow passing itself on from individual to individual, but we we really don't understand June why. And that's also, yeah, exactly, the Ring really really flourished in that in that respect, but a lot of a lot of these movies The thing that you have to do in order to make that successful is to sustain the momentum over the course of the entire film like you have to continuously find new and creative ways in which this terror can be passed from one individual to another and how it's actually going to be something that maintains that momentum and as you said the ending all the way through to the, the, the the credits it's like holy fucking shit this is this is wild as hell because everything that the that the characters go on every every journey and every every you know sort of corner that they have to that they have to veer around and every every piece of this puzzle is just put together so well and it, it doesn't feel like parker finn is a first-time director i feel like he's mm-hmm. done this before he, he doesn't feel like a novice to me i just i just thought that this entire experience was was so worth it it's very very dark it's extremely brutal very gory and bloody and they don't hide that this this is something that shows itself to you in the in the early moments of this film and so i would certainly cautious caution people i know a lot of folks aren't really horror horror film fans i I hear that all the time like oh, i don't watch that i I don't do that (laughs) i I would encourage you that this is something to kind of double down on like even if you are a horror fan like proceed with caution this is this is this is a bit of a tough experience i would i would say and i see also there's been a lot of mixed reactions i, I do notice that you know everybody doesn't love this movie it's it's getting mm-hmm. very mixed reactions and cinema scores rotten tomato scores whatever the case may be people are having somewhat of a div- divided opinion here which is that's fine and fair i think i think some of the best works coming up of, of this day and age are the more divisive the divisive pieces of work that we're getting but for me this was this was an absolute home run. I was I was completely enthralled for the entire time. I I, I don't know if I would change a thing. And 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 Sosie Bacon is like the lead actress here. I mean, she's she's definitely stepping up to the plate here. I mean, she's coming from royalty. Her father's Kevin Bacon. She right. she is making a name for herself. Obviously with this film, she stands on her own. And and I I, I totally bought into her character and just the natural dissension that she takes and just the, the the madness that ultimately ensues here because everything man is so there, there's just a looming presence that hangs over your head this entire movie and 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 you don't know what it is you you don't really have an idea or an understanding of what this ultimately is throughout the film and that also helps it that mist that mystery that that, that element mm-hmm. of just not knowing what the fuck this whole thing is really trying to say or or what the goal is also makes it equally as terrifying and so Everything here worked for me, and I just can't wait to watch it again. And also, wait to show other people because I think that's going to be naturally a part of the fun—showing other people (laughs) this movie and seeing their reactions (laughs) to just the the grim nature of it all. Because it is it is a dark piece of work, but absolutely loved it. Can't wait to watch it again. Those are our thoughts on the latest film from Paramount, *Smile*. If you've seen this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. With that being said. We're going to transition to the TV side of things. We got a couple of shows to recap and review, of course, House of the Dragon. But before we get to that, we got to talk about the latest limited series that just debuted on Netflix, Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Here we are, home sweet home. Oh,
0: shit. What is that smell? Gonna miss your love. the minute you walk out that door, Tools going all hours of the night. I hear
1: screaming coming from your apartment. I'll just try and say I'm sorry. She gonna open your gift? You didn't know.
0: Just like my mom. You're telling on me when I ain't done nothing wrong.
1: Now, this limited series is created by Ryan Murphy and Ian Brennan, and it's starring Evan Peters, Richard Jenkins, Molly Ringwald, Niecy Nash, and Michael Learned. And so, uh, first, I got to say, interesting title to call this Dahmer what? monster, the Jeffrey Why? Dahmer story. I don't know what they were doing there, but it is what it is. Jeffrey Dahmer, another real person, another biopic, if you will, at mm. least in the limited series format, Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most famous and notorious serial killers in history just because of how brutal and how weird and how violent he was while he was alive on this earth most notably committed a lot of his crimes in the 80s and the 90s. And so this limited series, coming from Ryan Murphy, who has a bit of experience in the horror realm, he's most (laughs) notably the creator and the long-running producer of American Horror Story and, of course, all of the spinoffs from that, including American Crime Story, which came out a few years ago, and they've had a few different editions of that. But he's transitioned more so to, to having a lot of his work live on Netflix now, and he's done a few projects so far, but this is the latest in the long line of an empire he's created. And, of course, Evan Peter... Evan Peters, excuse me, is a frequent collaborator of Ryan Murphy. He's been in many of those seasons of American Horror Story. And so he's stepping into the role of Jeffrey Dahmer and bringing this person to our TV screens and, and delivering this limited series. And so this is something that I haven't completely finished. I'm, I'm working my way through it. I'm on episode seven now. I know you mm-hmm. watched it as well. We got to talk about it because it is uh, it's definitely something that's that's interesting just for the fact that it is real. And also it's drawing a lot of controversy, which seems to be a consistent thing throughout everything we're talking about this week. But I'll pass it over to you to give your thoughts. What did you think ultimately about this limited series about Jeffrey Dahmer?
0: Yeah, I was I've always been one of those people who knew about Jeffrey Dahmer, but I had never done. I think the extensive research that a lot of other people have gone into. Um, you know, I mean, there's Jeffrey, there's Jeffrey Dahmer, everything, there's tapes, documentaries, they just, it just exists, there's articles, there's books, you can, if you want to know about Jeffrey Dahmer, you can know about him, and I think that's part of the controversy, right, is another one, like, why are we doing this again, a lot of the, some of the families, um, of the victims are like, they, y'all didn't really consult us on this, like, why are we doing this, thankfully, I think a lot of that stuff is being Kind of handled, and some of the some of the families are being compensated for this show being on or existing again. But with that context, I came into here um, pretty interested because I had I, I knew a lot about him from articles, not necessarily from anything I had actually watched. Um, if you remember, a couple years ago they came out with a Ted Bundy joint starring Zach Ef- Zach Efron. I watched all of that, and that made him I don't know that made Ted Bundy. I don't even know how to explain it. It made him too nice. I don't know what it was. <laughs> they, they glorify him a little bit too much. But I think Dahmer does something different. And I have to praise Ryan Murphy and Evan Peters for that here. What they do here is I think they are showing context for something and how horrific somebody can be without explicitly making excuses for them. And I think that's what this show does well. Um, in order for me to really uh, understand and, 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 and figure out this person in which we're talking about. Um, Dahmer is, it, yeah, it takes on a challenge in that, right? That all these things exist, but I don't think it's ever done it the way this does it. There's, the first episode is one of the best episodes. It's like episode one is in episode six. Episode six follows Tony Hughes, for those who don't know, that's the, the deaf black gay man. But episode one, Episode 6 are the best. What well, episode 1 does very well, and what this show does very well, is it teeters the line perfectly between horror and gore, I think, and to get you to understand how horrific this person was, I think if if this movie, or if this uh, limited series, I think is gonna, people are gonna talk about it during awards season, I think. I think it's, 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 it's enough for them to do that. Niecy Nash absolutely knocks it out of the park in this TV show, and what this show does well is it doesn't always take Jeffrey Dahmer as as the narrator, right, or from his point of view. It takes Nancy Nash, the neighbor, who was having to go through all the bullshit in smelling of smells of what jo- Jeffrey Dahmer was doing next door. But I think it does it well because it helps... You understand the horror of what of who Jeffrey Dahmer was as a person, the terrible things that he was doing to these people, without actually showing you all the time. Like there's moments like throughout the series where you just hear a drill, and you're like, "What the fuck is going on over there?" But that's what makes it good to me, because you don't necessarily have to show it for me to be like. For me to be, you know, for the whore to come through for you to understand how terrible Jeffrey Dahmer is. And I think, again, in, in a lot of different moments, that's what this series does well. Another thing the series does well is it it taught me so much I didn't know about. I didn't know about um, um what I did know about is the the black victims um of Jeffrey Dahmer. He had a lot of black and brown victims. He out of like 20, I think only like three of them weren't or were white. And so I think that to put that in perspective. But what this show also taught me a lot about was the ways in which the media portrayed Jeffrey Dahmer 1 and the way the cops moved when Jeffrey Dahmer was alive. You know, like the ways in which pretty much the commentary telling us that the system is really fucked up, that we haven't heard a million times. But I wouldn't have thought that when it came to Jeffrey Dahmer for some reason. I'm just like, oh, he's a serial killer. He was getting away with it. But this TV show goes into a little bit more depth of why he got away with it, why he decided to move into a black neighborhood, why he, he was doing the things that he did. And because of those things I didn't know before, I feel like this TV show did a good job of highlighting those and keeping me engaged in in, 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 in that important manner uh, for me to learn about who this man was. And so, um, yeah, for that, I have to give it kudos. Where The only places this TV show really falls off for me, I think it might be like one or two episodes too long, um, there's there's a couple. I say one and six are better are better episodes, and I think it's because a lot of those episodes in between are the upbringing of of Jeffrey Dahmer, and they try to get you to to understand why he is the fucked up individual that he is, which is fine. But it, it just been a little bit too much time for me. It was like y'all could have sped this up a little bit. Like after we seen why he was fucked up the first time, I don't know. I feel like they were like, let's do it again. And there was a couple times I feel like they didn't have to do that. Um, so that took away from it a little bit. The controversy took away from it a little bit. I was watching this like, damn, I see why the why the families don't like this. You know what I mean? Like I see why they feel how they feel. Um, those those couple things. Um, but yeah, but also this just uh uh one of those things where I, I know a lot of people who watched this and didn't get a good night's sleep. <laughs> I think that's the only thing that slightly takes away from it, right? It's not like you don't leave feeling elated after watching this it very much puts you in a dark mood because they throw you into this this real world I have to say that but they throw you into this real world these time frames in which Jeffrey Dahmer was actually killing and eating people and once you watch one episode, two episodes, however you decide to watch the show, it's going to fuck you up a little bit afterwards. Like I had to go watch Rick and Morty after. Like I was like, i let me go turn on something <laughs> that's going to change my perspective a little bit or make me a little happy. Let me go play a video game. Let me go do something a little happier because it puts you in that dark place. Um, so, yes, I, I think Dahmer is a well-crafted look again in the Jeffrey Dahmer. The argument is that why are we doing this again? I think this one is okay just because it I I I feel I just don't think other mediums were doing it like this was doing it. And I think if we say okay, this is the last one, let's let's make this the last one. I'm okay with that. Uh, but I think this was um it was helpful for me personally again because I hadn't dug into that stuff. Um so yeah, I I I think if you can handle it watch Dahmer. (laughs) I know a lot of people who cannot handle it. They are, it is not for them. They, I know people who said they couldn't get through the first episode. I understand all of that. Um, But I think, I I think it's, it's well-crafted. I think it's well-made Evan Peters. We should check on him, get him some therapy, get him some, he can't keep playing these cycles, man. Ryan, Ryan Murphy has been making this dude play cycles for a very long time. I know he's, he's in therapy somewhere. Shout out to Evan Peters. Shout out to Richard Jenkins, who was a surprise uh, standout for me a little bit too here. Molly Ringwald's in it. Caught me off guard. But also shout out to Nisi Nash. If they if they talk about any kind of things during the award season, Evan Peters and Nisi Nash are definitely on the top of the list. Um, because I, I really, I really think they murdered it. So yeah, man, that's a Dahmer for me.
1: Oh, well, you know, Ryan Murphy, he he's done a lot over these years. I mean, he's become a mogul in the TV industry. He's one of the most powerful producers we have. And so with Dahmer. And with any show that he debuts, it's always it, it's always a buzzworthy show. He's, he's always putting out things that I think people want to see. And he's capitalizing off of a genre that has become increasingly popular over the past few years, especially with the advent of streaming. And that's true crime, right? Taking yep. these real-life events and examining them through whatever particular lens you choose to. And Dahmer, for me, though I haven't finished it, I got a pretty good sense of it now being seven episodes in, it's one of those experiences where it seems like All of the pieces for Ryan Murphy have come and snapped into focus. They come into play. It feels like the best of both worlds in terms of American crime story and American horror story because you're getting Mm, this really horrific violence, this gory details from this real life human being that did these fucking weird and just obscene and outrageously violent things to people. And then in addition to that, you also get, I think, the more procedural legal scientific side of things and also the 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 mental capacity and the mental aspects of how this is feeding into who he was as an individual jeffrey dahmer and so i think because of that it becomes one of the strongest things we've seen from ryan murphy in quite a while because of just all of the different angles and the way the ways that it's that it's really investigating these things that that this man did when he was when he was on this earth as you said, it is examining it from from a few different perspectives that I, I don't think have been highlighted enough in the fact that Jeffrey Dahmer targeted people and he targeted black people, black gay mm-hmm. men. Like that was super intentional and never really explained and talked about because I too knew about him, heard his name, did a little mm-hmm. bit of research, and I think at the point that I found out, like, yeah, my man was storing heads in refrigerators and eating human body parts, I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to read anything else. You know, I think right. a lot of people probably had that reaction, like how much more do I really want to know? And and some right. people will. It's not it's not wrong to want to dive deep onto this stuff because it's it's fascinating that somebody real existed and did this this shit. Like real life Hannibal Lecter st- stuff. But it, it goes even further in the fact that like this man was targeting black gay men in, in a lot of respects and, and committing these these violent, atrocious acts towards these people. And just altering the fates of their families and and what they've had to deal with ever since mm-hmm. ever since these incidents occurred and and when you see this man and you see it rendered on the screen it is it is brutal to another degree and and this is another example of of creators and filmmakers not hiding what the show is as you said if this is not for you you will know in the first episode the first episode is brilliant in the way that it establishes tension and really yeah. builds up just the entire angsty environment that this whole thing Lives within and occupies because you know that you know there's bad shit afoot, but you don't really know when it's going to happen. But the first episode pretty quickly mm-hmm. establishes that, and I love what they did with the storytelling. It's non-linear. There's a lot of flashbacks. We go back and forth a lot between the timelines because it takes place pretty much over the course of Jeffrey Dahmer's entire life, from the time he was a young boy till his ultimate death. And so we get to see a lot there, and we get to understand the backstory and the family and what his parents did and how his father was closely related. And Rich Richard Jenkins just he he's tremendous in his role. There's a moment in the first episode, I believe it was, or it might have been the second. It, it probably was the second episode where they are telling him the acts that Jeffrey Dahmer committed. They're actually explaining that stuff to him, and the reaction that he has is fucking flawless because of not only the pure horrific nature of hearing this stuff out loud, which is also like equally as horrific for us, because then they also complement it with the actual footage. But then mm-hmm. a little bit of it feels like he's not even that surprised. A little bit of it feels like, "Oh, I knew that there might have been a ticking time bomb here." And and mm-hmm. and and that 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 tension is is established and embedded in the rest of the series because then we see their relationship develop over the course of the remaining episodes and we see how some things might have lined up to make this person the way that he was, but Overall, it's a dirt. It's a, it's a disturbing watch, but it's extremely well made and well handled. And the performances, as you said, I don't need to really reiterate that they're incredible. Niecy Nash, Evan Peters, like they're doing some really good stuff here. The conversation does pivot to the idea of like, do we need this? You know, and the the families of these incidents, many of them are still around, still alive. And they've had to deal with this for 30 years, hearing about mm-hmm. this, reliving it over and over and over and over again, countless times, whether it's documentaries or interviews or news clippings, whatever the case may be. And now a new limited series, which is probably going to get more attention than all of those things combined because it's on Netflix, which 200 million people have access to. I know that this is presenting a different take. I know that this is looking at it from a little bit of a different vantage point and in offering mm-hmm. us probably more information on the subject than we know while still fictionalizing some things, because not everything here is true. We should also make right. sure that that's said. But in the case of any media like this, when we're looking at historical figures that did terrible fucking shit, I mean, do you think that this is stuff that, that that's still useful, that's still valuable to have out there? I mean, you could you could probably posit the question like, well, do we need anything? Right? Like, everybody's <laughs> going to be affected by something. Everybody's going to have like a traumatic experience with something, right? So it, it's a tough line mm-hmm. to toe, and it's a difficult conversation to have, but In particular when you're looking at a guy a white guy who targeted black gay men and murdered them and ate them and 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 preserved them in these really just terrible ways and these people have to deal with that i mean do you think that do you think that this is something that we should continue to still be talking about really is kind of the question like should we still be having these different depictions of these real life people that did some of the most horrific things that we've probably heard of
0: it's, it's a really weird line. I think that we also have to have to totter here because on one hand it's hell no, we don't need this anymore because we don't, you know, the families don't want to have to keep reliving their trauma, keep reliving the deaths, the deaths of the victims, keep, you know, going through this. And on the other hand, it's like, well, we don't want to forget them either. You know what I mean? Like I, sometimes in my mind, I'm like, if we don't bring up jeffrey dahmer every five to ten years will we forget the people who died or who he killed you know what i mean will we forget his victims or maybe there's just another way to do it that's not a netflix special you know what i'm saying like maybe there's a you know and i think that's what makes it so difficult such a difficult conversation to have especially again when it does come to the the wishes and in that of the family now in my mind after watching this i now have the picture i need of this man. I now have a picture of what he did to his victims. I now have, I don't know, just a better, a uh, uh, grasp on it. Um, and so it's, it's such a good question that I think it uh, has to continue to, to be asked. I think one big thing that was a problem with this Netflix special is some of the families were saying is that they just weren't asked. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I, part of me just wish they went through every family and was like, is this okay? Okay. Do you want compensation for this? Do you, you know what I mean? And I think if you do it in a more respectful way, then it becomes less of a a, a controversial thing later on down the line. Right. There's another um, um, Tony Hughes, the 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 black gay deaf man that uh, was one of Dahmer's victims is, again, what probably probably the best episode for me in the in the show. But there's a, a reenactment of his sister in court where his sister is pissed and the sister comes out on social media and is like, y'all didn't have to do this, or y'all didn't really ask me if y'all could do this, this and that. And I think, of course, consent is so important, right? That's like part of the show. <laughs> so I think one part of it here is like, it's a little bit of, uh, uh you know, hypocrisy in terms of consent. It's like, you just ask the family real quick if you can do this, and I think it's okay. Um, So yeah, man, it's it's really hard for me to say. I think at this point, though, it... I uh, this is, yeah, this is the one where it's just like, we're good. Like, it's okay. We don't have to talk about this anymore. Let's find a different way to bring up his victims next time. Let's have a, I don't know, but I just don't want to forget them either with leaving out these things. Because for me, that's the important part. I hate, the idea of 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 glorifying or turning anybody a murder into an icon i think that's the problem that we get in this new age of following a lot of these stories we turn ted bundy into an icon eventually we turn jeff jeffrey dahmer into an icon by by continuously putting energy and in in, in in vibes into their name but like how do we talk about their victims without glorifying them and I think that's that's the difficult thing that we're having to go with um, go through uh, today when it comes to, to, to talking about uh yeah, the these serial killers.
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things, too. Like if, if, if they were always to ask for consent and that would be the, the determining factor as to whether or not this should would get made, then nothing would get made because nobody yeah. would consent to this, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, it, it's tough. Right. You know, I think we 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 live in a society that glorifies violence and we're fascinated by that. We're fascinated by a true crime and people doing atrocious acts and, and figuring out the psyche and maybe why they did this whatever the case may be I, I do think that this show in particular has been educational to, to all the things that we spoke about earlier as it relates to the targeting as it relates to you know possibly what he was what he was ultimately feeling um, with some of these people that he came across but there, there is a human component to it where you have to say okay maybe enough is enough and and I don't know if we're at that point I'm I'm obviously not in that position and it's really really difficult but you do have to empathize and just acknowledge that hearing about this shit once again for for the people involved the families that that remain it has to be has to be just really troubling and 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 then to do so in a, in a, in a in a way which comes as a surprise because Dahmer didn't have like a lot of heat around it a trailer mm. dropped and then it was out you know and so it's it's pretty sudden of an experience as well and I, I know that 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 just has to be incredibly tough to deal with and so don't have the answers i'm not sway but it is a conversation that we got to continue to have about all of this stuff but I those are our thoughts squid about dom Dah- sorry
0: i think it passed squid game for in viewers- terms of viewership oh yeah, that, that would so. be insane
1: oh wow i I hope not, because that that would also say a lot of stuff. I actually hope that that's false, but uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to circle back and see if, yeah, if that's we'll the case, back. because that that that's one of those things where again, what do people view? What do people enjoy viewing? And and maybe it's just mm. a curiosity, right? Maybe it's just a curiosity mm-hmm. of who he was and what he did. But we'll have to see. But those are our thoughts about Dahmer, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. If you've seen this limited series on Netflix, definitely hit us up. And let us know what you think. And with that being said, let's transition and talk about our final TV series of the week. Of course, we have to recap the latest episode of the Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon. Episode 7 just debuted. It was entitled Driftmark. And so we are slowly but surely getting to the season finale of the first season of House of the Dragon. It's been A wild ride thus far. There have been so many (laughs) things that have happened, including so many time jumps, so many skips ahead to get to the future and get us closer and closer and closer to really what this show is going to be about. And that's the Dance of the Dragons. That's the main timeline that they're ultimately ushering us towards. And so now with episode seven... It was presented us with many different scenarios, a lot of fallout from last week, of course, but still some 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 pretty effective setup towards the remaining events that'll happen within these final three episodes. Before we talk about spoilers, get into all the nitty gritty details of everything that happened this week. Briefly, man, what did you think about this new edition of House of the Dragon?
0: How does this show keep getting better? I didn't think it was possible. Like we've been we've been through some really really good TV in these past seven episodes Um, and I I really can't believe that we're getting close to the end of the season Um, but it's impressive man to be able to put a story like this together to be able to continuously week after week show up and show out for your fans and as a service to the story that you're writing about this episode in particular I think when it's all said and done it's going to go down in, in one of the classic. Drones episodes I do I think it's it, I think it's just one of those that it just feels it feel it's it's perfectly paced to me there's the messiness is there the cinematography is crazy in this episode the the acting is is, is what it is it it's just a lot going on in this episode that I just felt Like, yeah, this is one of those. This is one of the ones that is going to be talked about for a long time and for more than just being good for what happens, for what actually goes down in the episode as well. It just, I think everything was well crafted. I don't have a lot of nitpicks. I don't have a lot of things to talk about. Like sometimes other weeks, I'm like, I don't know about that. But here, this was, this is television, I think at its best, at its finest, and um. Yeah, it's impressive, man, to be able to get better every week. Cause a lot, of, a lot of shows fall off, right? A lot of them start hot and then they fall off. Um, and a lot of them, a lot of them are in the beginning and are like eh, and then they pick up later. And this one has just maintained, I think, its consistency better than a lot of first seasons for a lot of other TV shows for me. Usually, there's an episode in here I'm like eh, ah, but here it's just fire after fire for me. And this this is an episode that I think is gonna. Um, set the tone really for the rest of the show R- skip the rest of the season whatever that means the rest of the show I think this is just one of those episodes so I absolutely loved it and I think we're man we're in a realm of of, of greatness man we're back I, that's how I feel after watching it I got to the end of that and was like yeah we're back Game of Thrones is back <laughs> we're here again fuck season eight of Game of Thrones we're we are back Um, and I'm I'm very very proud to say that so I'm very excited
1: Incredible episode of TV here. I was completely enthralled for all, what, 67, 68 minutes of it. I love the fact that these episodes are, like, really, really long, too. This was just great. This was great shit. I love so many different moments. There were so many notable things that occurred. And and just when I thought that the pacing might have dipped, we just ramp it up expeditiously, like, to another degree in which so many crazy, wild things happened. And I just think that everybody involved here is expertly... Immersing us in the story and in this world and with these characters in a way that's just so effective and so different than everything else is that, that that that's out there. You know, Game of Thrones and now the subsequent House of the Dragon series. These are these are kind of one of a kind series in the way that they execute their their respective stories. Nothing else feels like them on TV, and I'm reminded of that feeling with every episode that we get of House of the Dragon. I've had my issues, I've had my problems, I've, I've pointed these things out, but there's not been a weak episode to me yet, and and I've been wondering. When are we going to get a weak episode? There has to be at least one, right? There has to be one that just kind of drops the ball and we have to say like, "All right, well, they ran out of steam, but maybe they'll pick it up later." And that's just not been the case. They've been they've been hitting it out of the park pretty much every week with some few notable exceptions in certain in certain regards. And and I'm I, I might be alone in feeling that. I know some some other people have had issue Really latching onto the show, maybe as maybe as much as we have. But I even saw the people who've been doubters and protesters of what's been mm-hmm. t- happening so far even love this episode. I think it's I think it's near undeniable how how effective everything was here. So I really really enjoyed it, and and I'm I'm in. I'm so in on this. I was always in, but now I'm really really in because yes, everything really. here was just was just so well done. Let's talk about it. Let's get into all the details. If you haven't seen this week's episode. Of House of the Dragon, go watch it and finish out the rest of our conversation here. And we have to start off with the funeral. The funeral that that takes place in the opening moments of this episode actually takes place really in the entire first act of this episode. And that's the funeral for Lena, who we saw pass away last week. Um, She was violently killed because she she let the dragon torture because she did not want to go through. A really brutal death possibly losing her baby as well as dying on top of that she she chose to die a warrior's death but funerals are rarely ever ever happy places you know so you can't expect to come into a type of situation like this and people are going to be joyous and adding all the drama and the contentious relationships that have been that have been threaded throughout this entire show and and it makes for a, a very interesting dynamic amongst the characters and probably the most interesting exchange of, of, of all the different parties at play here, because, you know, one, one thing that funerals and weddings have in common is that they bring together people that otherwise would never be in the same place at the same time. And so I think we get a clear cut example of that here with this funeral and there were so many different interactions. I mean, people are drunk, drinking too much. People are making their political moves, and they're having conversations on the side. We see some flirting going on. It's it's a lot happening within the context of of this this isolated event that that unnaturally will bring all these people together for the for the first time. Really, what did you think about this and how it was sequenced out, and just all the 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 respective intricate events that were happening amongst the the funeral scene here?
0: Man, what an amazing scene because there are so many stories in this one spot right like you said people are looking across the room but nothing's really being said there are there's just so much not only pain but family drama built up to this moment and it's it's the cinematography fits the moment so well because it's driftmark but it's so dark it's like why is this why is it so dark out here um and it's because it's such a dark occasion and there's there's just these small interactions between certain people that you either get or don't get here. And and they're 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 small enough to mean something though, right? There's the moment which Viserys comes up to Damon and asks him to be back in the court and Damon just kind of storms off. You know what I mean? But then at that same moment, Rainier kind of sees that happens. And then she's making her thoughts in her head and her moves of what's to happen. And the kids, man, um, you have uh, uh, um Bayla and uh reyna man and they're crying in the corner and young jaceres kind of walks up to them he doesn't know what to say like he just he, he wants to console them and wants to say condolences but he doesn't have the words and i feel like he doesn't have the words because their parents never really have the words you know like they they haven't really been taught how to deal with these things and so it's just it's it's you know, but Bayla just grabs his hand, and like that's all they can really do <laughs> is a very small action because they don't have the words or they know how to know how to say the words, and, 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 and that's an interesting way to comfort. And yeah, just a lot of things happening that feel like a good start to a sad ass moment. You know, it's a it's a good start to an episode where you have to address um um the darkness in the room with your tone, and they very much did that here, so. I thought it was very well crafted, very well acted. They they had a point at the end of the episode where they say this is actually one of the first things that they shot, um, like in the whole entire series. <laughs> and and, and they, they talk about how the actors didn't really know each other that well um, in this moment and that it works perfectly. One, it works perfectly because there's a time jump and these people haven't been spending the same amount of time, <laughs> you know, with each other that they had when they were um, um, younger in this universe but also there's such a when there's a death in the family there's a there's a pullback that everyone tends to do and especially when there's family turmoil and drama there's a slight pullback that everyone tends to do and so because they didn't like know each other that well yet on that on those first early days of shooting it really works out for the scene and I, I went back and watched it again I was like damn you can really see that like the the it's it's there that they they're not 100 percent comfortable with each other yet and that works it absolutely works so i, I really enjoyed that opening scene a lot um because it set the tone for the rest of the episode very well
1: i don't know if any other series does this thing as well as these game of thrones shows have done where you just take all of your characters put them in one place at the same time and just like let them go. You just mm-hmm. let them do what they do. I, I I can't really think maybe the West Wing, you know there there have been like large ensemble casts where people are just talking and going back and forth and you see mm-hmm. the looks across the rooms like it's it's happened, but it, it's a rare thing because of how difficult it, it it's to pull off. and here we are again, and we've had multiple situations like this throughout this this show specifically, but they do it here again in, in a situation that that that's bringing together people after a death and you know, I think for Lena, as the one who is dead and it's her funeral, probably the best thing that she could have asked for is to not be amongst this bullshit that's going on. That That's actually probably a blessing that she's gone because having to deal with this had to be the worst, most awkward shit in the world just because of all the backstory, everything that's going on, all the drama, the unsaid things, the rumors, the innuendos. I was just in there like, man, this is uh, this is pure high school bullshit at its finest, mm-hmm. where you just see people come together and they're just talking shit and making their own moves and aligning and and, and, and making clear what their intentions are. And I loved it. I just loved how, how how well it was done. And I loved how long it was, too. It took up so much time. We just got a chance mm-hmm. to just really settle into this environment and watching all these people navigate this really awkward situation amongst everyone. And the most awkward part of it for me was at the end. When you just see Damon let out a chuckle as they're like about to send off Lena and finally just be done with this. And he's just like laughing. And I'm just like, well, what the what, what was that? What the fuck was that for? And they don't answer it for us. We're just kind of left crazy. to just sit with it and also feel very weird and awkward about it. But that's Damon. You know, he's hard to read. It's hard to know what he's thinking at any given moment. So I just mm. thought it was just so well done. We got to talk about Eamon in this episode, who is one of the children of allison um or excuse me not allison but of uh rhaenyra and um what he does in this episode is it, it's really momentous because last episode he was teased a lot for not really having a dragon yet at this point he he was mm-hmm. one of the the few remaining children i think maybe the only one that didn't have a, a dragon of his own and his siblings teased him they gave him a pig you know he he was awkward you know and he's kind of dead-faced you don't really know what he's thinking either But in this episode, he takes the moment and the opportunity to go get the biggest, baddest dragon of them all, which actually formerly belonged to Lena, because the way the dragons work in this universe, we know that they belong to one person. And when that one person passes away or, or or whatever the case may be, now they're kind of up for grabs. And Damon, he sees an opportunity, or an Amen, excuse me. So many fucking names. Eamon sees an opportunity and he seizes it. He goes and finds Vager and and he 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 makes the attempt to make this his dragon and is successful in doing so. And again, this is the biggest, baddest dragon out there that we've seen thus far. And he rides him and we see this entire sequence go down and He's now firmly established and committed to this relationship with this dragon, and he's won that for the side of Renera. Which is, I mean, that's just like a swift joker card, if anything, because there's a lot of dragons at play. There's apparently like seventeen of them out in this world, but nobody is like Vagar. That 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 is like mm-hmm. the fucking maximum supreme dragon that you could have at your disposal. What were your thoughts on just seeing him infiltrate this relationship and actually establish that connection with Vagar in that scene?
0: You know, initially, it's like, man, Vagar's owner just died, bro. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you here? Like, the even even in Vagar's eyes in the last episode when he did have to uh, uh burn Lena, you can see that the dragon was mourning, right? These are still very much creatures. Think of them as really big dogs if you want to. You know what I mean? Like, they still feel things, especially when they have to kill their own owners right or they're forced to 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 kill um, their own dragon riders and so as the family is mourning it just felt like as Eamon was approaching vegar that vegar was also mourning right in his own way um and this scene was also incredible, by the way, because my, my sub was going crazy. You could hear like Bagar just breathing. And I was like, damn, I'm sorry, people who live under me or on top of me. It's going, the bass is going stupid right now. But it, it made for a, a, a crazy moment um, for TV. And so, man, Eamon is he's also one of those kids where... He's not as 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 fuck boyish as his older brother right amen is very he's so much more serious you can tell just the way in which he operates he's serious about everything even you know we'll talk about it in a second but after the the things that happened to him right after he loses his eye even in those moments he's like but I kind of got a dragon out of it <laughs> you know what I'm saying he's like I don't and, and, and that's that's different for I think a kid to think like that he was over it so fast and he was able he has enough maturity to be okay with the consequence and i think he he understands sacrifice already more than other people understand sacrifice i think in that moment so i think it it was crazy to watch um because again it's like at first it's like how dare you but he makes some 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 interesting uh some interesting points later on down the line that we'll talk about. Um. So yeah, it was it was it was crazy to watch and it felt disgusting. Um. At first, I was like, how could this kid? But seeing how smart this kid is, I can't say I'm too surprised as to what it went down.
1: Yeah, as, as as I was watching the whole flying sequence, I was sitting there like, okay, this is going on for a really long time now. Um. When when are we gonna? get Mm -hmm. to the point of of what this was all meant to be so i was a little bit worried this was the the portion of the episode that kind of dipped for me but then to see everything that happened thereafter it reaffirmed why it was so important to see all of this play out the way that it did to see him just take his time approaching vagar go really really slowly not overstep and then to mount the dragon and ride him and see that this was like a completely successful ride all the way through my man went out there and just like dropped you know 10 straight off the bench like he was just like fuck it this is my moment i'm gonna show up and do what i gotta do here especially because he he feels the type of way he gets mm-hmm. bullied and he's getting teased by his siblings especially his older brother so he's like you know what he sees an opportunity he takes advantage of it. and it's like yeah in that moment it, you, you can kind of you can kind of you know empathize with like lana and even Vagar because it is a mm-hmm. it's a vulnerable moment as well right he vegar did just lose lana Ultimately, is sad by that. So there was a there was a window of opportunity there. The 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 guard of Vagar might not have been down under any other circumstance, but in this particular moment, it happened the way that it happened. But you you do have to look and commend this guy for, I mean, making a complete one eighty from where he was last week, you know, and ultimately Mm -hmm. winning over this dragon for himself. But it led to the ass whooping of a lifetime because (laughs) ultimately everybody found out. You know, uh, Lena and Damon's children find out allison's children find out and they they confront him in in this cave and they just they go in they are very upset because they are saying Mm -hmm. everything we're talking about here like how could you that was our mother's dragon why would you do something like that and then they proceed to get in essentially what was like a five-way brawl amongst children and for me this was the standout of the week this 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 entire sequence which which leads into the next part we'll talk Mm -hmm. about the fact that the children really are like the exceptional actors in this episode. They, they they are the best thing, I think, about Episode 7 Driftmark here because it's so entertaining to just see how unusually violent they are towards each other. I mean, kids fight. Like, this is not crazy. Kids do fight. They're, they're naturally a little bit more aggressive. They're trying to figure out what those feelings look like and, and channel those emotions into other avenues. But in the world of Westeros there really isn't anything else to channel it into. And these children are a little bit entitled as well because they come from royalty, right? So to see them just unload is kind of crazy. And then you also see one of them comes with a knife. So has full intentions of really hurting somebody, aiming specifically. So I I was honestly laughing at this entire sequence, which (laughs) I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have been, but it was funny to me just because it's like, oh, these kids are turning up right now. They are going in and specifically aiming, loses an eye. He literally Mm -hmm. gets... A fucking knife to his eye and loses an eye and at least everything else that, that that comes after that, which we'll get to. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, how, how how could you how could you you know or how did you look at this and see you know the, this whole situation playing out? Did you think that some one of the kids might lose their life? Like, wh- was it that dangerous of a situation or 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 was it ultimately just going to be a scuffle that was going to get broken up at the end of the day? And what was your reaction overall to to that fight that happened?
0: Man, I think th- this is such an interesting. Like you said, I think this is this leading into the next scene. This is probably what, like the 30 minute mark into the end of the episode. But this is such a just a crazy way to to really show the viewers about how these parents have raised these children (laughs) at the end of the day. Man, all these kids are set up for some form of royalty they're already royalty technically right but they're set up for some form of somebody's gonna be on somebody's throne one day somebody's gonna be somebody's king queen all of these these are these are the kids of the future and they're scuffling they're they are throwing hands it's it's, what's really funny about this Bela uh (laughs) Lena in, in in Damon's daughter throws the first punch you're like what Bela throws the first punch it like caught me off guard a little bit but I think what's so interesting also about this is you understand everybody's perspective, right? Bela and Reyna is like, you like they're they just they're mourning their mom and you just took their dragon? What the what the hell you got going on here? But then you turn to Eamon. Eamon kind of has a point. Eamon's like, well, you should have claimed your dragon. The niggas just sitting out here, especially in a world where dragons are so important and so meaningful, you gotta go get them. You know what I'm saying? Like he's lost his owner. It's it's it was open and I just took him. And you should have done that. And I think there's 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 re, that makes sense to me. That ha, that holds weight to me. I'm like, yeah. That's also pretty true. Um in 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 I I think this the scary part of it is the way in which this escalates though because you know the environments that they've been in, right? You can kind of see a little bit of Sir Kristen's what he what he says in the last episode. You know, you can you can kind of see it come to light here where it it the the fight was always kind of meant to happen. Eamon picks up a rock. Well Luke was like, nigga, I got a knife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it just kept escalating over and over. And that's what it feels like this family is though. That's what this family does. And for this family to be um, kind of reflective or for these kids to be reflective of their parents just made so much sense because in this episode we get the kitty table we get the we get the the after right and then we get the befores and the parents are like well okay let's get the people who influence this and we go to a whole nother sequence in which in which that happens and so I never thought that anybody was going to die or anything but I definitely seen a slightly escalated scuffle and that's what we got um, in which Amen eventually loses his eye and so I, I can't say I'm like, yeah, I, I didn't think anybody was gonna die, but it, it kind of happened the way I think. I didn't I didn't necessarily see Eamon losing his eye coming, but I definitely knew something was gonna escalate. I just didn't know what. Um, but yeah, such an interesting moment taken in the in the realm of Game of Thrones because it's really this whole show has always been about what whose parents, what kind of effect does your parents have on you, and it very much came to light here with this very specific sequence.
1: Man, they got real WWE up in that bitch. Like it was, it was going down. It was pure violence. Somebody got a broken nose. Somebody lost an eye. People were getting slapped, punched all over the place. I'm like, I'm here for it. You know, it's just it's shocking to see kids act this way when we just met them, right? It's Mm -hmm. different if we really knew more. To your point about how they were specifically raised, but I think you can fill in the blanks. You know that there's just like tensions boiling over. You know things are said, and what kicks off really this whole thing isn't even necessarily the dragon situation. It's the fact that like these kids that belong to Allison, keep getting called, or excuse me, Renera, I keep mixing people, there's so many characters, these kids that belong to Renera, keep getting called bastards, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Mm -hmm. and so like, they're dealing with this, and they're dealing with these like, really snide remarks that are coming from people and so at that point it's like a yo mama joke like what you say oh no we we we, we scrapping right. now you know and so mm-hmm. it just gets mm-hmm. to that point but i think the fact that you see like a rock come out and you see a knife come out it's like whoa you whoa. know these kids are wild they are going in right now they are willing to take it that far but that violence just lives throughout this world especially from these families like it's it's kind of it's kind of ingrained in them even at mm-hmm. such an early age they're like 10 11 maybe 12 and it's it's wild to see, but it leads to probably the best-aged moment of the series thus far, and it's the it's the fallout of the fight. It, it's the fact that all parties are now once again involved. Allison is fucking pissed. She wants revenge. She literally wants an eye for an eye. She sees that her son's eye has been taken out. She wants the same debt to be paid Rhaenyra's like, nah, fuck that. Obviously, the whole question about the legitis- legitimacy of her marriage comes into question. Lenor is not around. He's off somewhere else, you know, doing his own thing. And the rumors get brought up. Viserys is somehow still playing dumb. I don't know why. Damon is just off to the side, like, thankfully, I'm not involved in something finally. I can just like chill and sit back, sit back and chill and, and enjoy this for what it is. So much is happening. Kristen is he's still been a prick. So many things are going down in the sequence, and, and, and <laughs> it leads to probably the most shocking thing in the fact that Allison pulls out a knife on Renera and is willing to also take it that far, very similar mm-hmm. to what just happened amongst the children. She wants revenge, and she wants to get one of her children's eyes and, and, and sort of settle it in that fashion. But Viserys, his, his, he's ultimately decided that's not going to be the case. We're not going to do that we can't fight as a family because ultimately that's how he views this is, is one big family, but it's not one big family. It's the most dysfunctional shit you could ever be wrapped up in. Mm-hmm. But this whole thing, man, I loved it. I just loved the way that it was staged and sequenced, And I love the way that it looked and just the perspectives that we saw, but it also kind of spoke to me in the sense of the allegiances and, and, and how they're almost crystallizing at this point. Like it's becoming very clear who's on what side. So I just got to ask you one Actually, we'll just start with one. We'll start with one question. We'll leave. The, we'll save the question for like the end of this episode, as we as we close out. But do you think that the, the, the do you think that the show itself is actually taking sides on a particular person here? Because it's really it's it's Rhenera and Allison. You know that's mm-hmm. that's what it's all about at the end of the day. The children and everybody else. Are, are aiding and supporting in this in this ultimate showdown between these two but do you see that the show is like sort of taking a side here in the term in, in the way that they're depicting the certain characters like does it feel like they're leaning one way as opposed to the other
0: i don't think so personally um just because what we've built up up to this point feels like everybody's fucking up <laughs> in their own specific way i will say just because of the way the the beginning of the show was centered it does slightly paint Rhaenyra in a in a slightly better fashion just because she was our main protagonist at first, right? She was the girl that we were, you know what I mean? She was the heir to the throne. She had the most screen time at first, you know what I mean? And so it, it I will say just because of that, just a little bit. But I think when you really break it down and what the show is, I don't think it's taking either side. I think it's everyone is is supposed to to, you know, kind of understand that nobody's in the right here, um, which means also everybody is in the wrong in, in their in their own way, and and when you look at the way, first of all, Olivia Cook is killing it um, in this episode, but when you look at the ways in which Allison or what Allison has go, have had to go go through, and the way the scene paints Allison right, this this scene very much is like showing alicent her true colors right that's part of the point of the scene is like i want an eye for an eye there's probably people knights in the back like Alison. <laughs> you want what and in some ways some people can see that because on paper that's actually goes against the the idea in the hierarchy of the king right you can't want the the heir to the throne's son eye to get cut out that's like something in itself in in law and in, in this time um that you can't do but because of this power that she's established, right, without Viserys, it's like, well, you know, people in the room kind of thinking about it. Like, oh, an eye for an eye? Hmm. It wasn't like an eye for an eye. Oh, nope, we can't do that. It was like an eye for an eye. Oh, really? <laughs> what are we, like, oh, okay, okay, let's talk about it. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's just been really interesting to see how they divide that line, I think. But I don't think they're, they're necessarily um, um, picking sides when it comes to Rainier and Allison I think it's it's a just one of those things <laughs> that feel like um it's being it's being handled by uh again screen time who your protagonist was at the beginning it's easy to go oh i'm kind of near side you know what i mean it's, it's, i don't think some people it's easy to do that but i think when you understand allison as a person and understand that she's been doing everything she was told up until this point she's been the perfect queen she's been showing up to shit you can see it in those very early episodes when she's having viserys's kids that she is exhausted she hasn't done anything wrong she was crossing her t's she was dotting her eyes and now she's fucking tired (laughs) and i think there's 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 enough there for you to be like well i kind of feel for her too and so I think it just depends on the way you look at it. Are you looking at, looking at it from a narrator perspective, or are you looking at it from this is their circumstance and this is their circumstance, and this is what's happening as a result of that? So yeah, it really just depends.
1: Well, it it makes it distinguishable as as we often will compare it to Game of Thrones because that's a series where there's so many easy to hate characters. A lot of those characters in oh, the show. They're very fucking terrible, and it's it's not it's not a question. Like you you don't look at Cersei like, wow, I'm I'm having a ton of empathy for her. <laughs> in in season two, there are a couple of moments where you can say like, damn, that sucks to be her in this pos mm-hmm. in this position. Like some very tragic stuff absolutely did happen to her, but she was reprehensible in in many of her actions. That's not clearly nice. the case here, and I think also in the way that the show is designed, that's intentional Um, because it is more of a a, a two-way sort of showdown, like a a one-on-one matchup to that respect. I don't think that they're explicitly doing it, but a part of me feels like that the show is turning the audiences back against Allison in favor of Ranera. I do feel like Ranera is being painted in a bit of a better light up until this point. That might be by design, because that could all change at the drop of a dime. It could change next week for all we know. But I feel like that they, the way that they painted Allison, especially with the time jump, to see how different she is now compared to when she was when she was younger. It makes her feel a little bit more aggressive and mm-hmm. almost despicable to a certain degree. I don't think anybody necessarily hates her. Maybe some people do. I don't. I actually like her a lot. But mm-hmm. this is a character who was manipulated early on in her childhood as she was coming up, as she was you know, establishing this relationship with Viserys. And now 10 years later, it's like she knows who she is and she knows the power that she wields and she also now has children and there's a claim to all of this stuff that she has. But the way that they paint her in this particular sequence is interesting because of the fact that she draws a knife on Rhaenyra. She gets so mad and angry. She's yelling. She's just she's unsatisfied with ultimately what Viserys decides like she's willing to go against her own king's words, and 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 ultimately commits a violent act against Rhaenyra. Felt very intentional to me that she cut her. That wasn't no accident. It's like that blade long as hell. If you didn't <laughs> want to cut her, you could have gotten it away from her. But you you got a nice little swipe at her wrist right there and i found it to just be uh, just a really intense sequence but i i, I loved it because of that because I, I think ultimately even if a lot of people do hate allison now i think that there are things to come that will make you question renera and and who she ultimately is and it's going to make this this whole dynamic all the more interesting because it, it feels inevitable that there's going to be some natural back and forth like one week you might really love renera the other week you might be like wait a second and then also there's just some factors outside of their control that will also contribute to that conversation, such as their children. Because I'm also looking at their children like, what the fuck did you produce here with this little bastard? Mm -hmm. That's your son? He's a reflection of you? So now I'm kind of like looking at your parenting skills and what you've done up until this point and all of that. It it, it aids into the conversation here. But this whole sequence, man, was just so, it was so entertaining and so enthralling. And I, I just love what they did ultimately. And just, I think, kind of drawing the line. This feels like the turning point of their relationship and, and, and where it all went wrong in yep. what led to the ultimate demise between Ranera and Allison, the fact that they are going to war against each other and it couldn't be more clear than ever now. So I got to ask you, who are you? Team Allison or Team Raniere? What side did you fall on? Because we got to we got we to gotta be picking like, yeah, we can see we can see <laughs> some people's perspective. We can we can empathize and relate. But listen. It's a lot like Twilight, which is a much less series, I will say. But it's a lot like that when you were Team Edward or Team Jacob. You got to be Team Reneer or Team Allison. Which side do you fall on at this point?
0: Man, what a hard-ass choice that you just presented with me <laughs> on this podcast. Um, It's difficult, man. It, it really is. Because, it, again, as terrible as they're painting Allison, she has so much more, I think, in, at this moment of the – well, what what used to be probably not anymore with Mister with Clubfoot in Otto in her corner anymore. But she used to have the more innocent uh, uh journey, I think, to get here. Right? You kind of talk about her parenting, and and it's like, damn, you produce you produce this, <laughs> like this is what you produce. But she never had a mother to help her, and the, it it was a baby raising a baby, right? Uh, with Allison, she was literally a kid raising kids. And not only did she not have her mother around while raising these kids, she didn't even have her father there most of the time. So, of course, I don't think she she really knows how to speak to her children or to get them to a place of of, yeah, just being um, um, really all that comforting. Right. There's a reason Eamon and Aegon are the way in which they are. And I, I think not that a lack of love per se is the word, but a lack of care, I think, is a better is a better way to say it and a better because all her motherly instincts might not have been there. You know what I mean? There's there's some things that grandmas have to teach mothers in order to teach their kids. And that wasn't there for Allison. So part of me wants to say Allison because of that. Right. She she has never had all the equipment. She's never had all the tools to be the best that she could really be in terms of being a mother in the situation. We look at Rhaenyra. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. She's a fucking Targaryen. That's like most of the points for me. <laughs> I, I, I just, I mean, that's what that's part of the reason we watch the show, right? It's fucking fire and blood. It's the, it's the fire here. Um, this is the House of Dragons. Um, and, and Allison shoot, she ain't got that herself. She can't ride a dragon herself. And so I just love Rhaenyra, but I love how Rhaenyra still goes against the grain of everything. I think you talk about this being such a splitting episode. It's like now. Duh! This is how Rhaenyra operates. This is how Allison operates. The two cannot coexist. In this episode, in this moment where everyone's in this room is like, "Oh shit, it's really going down." We've seen the ramp up, right? Kind of talk about last episode where Rhaenyra stands up and kind of gives her, her 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 spiel on how they should unite the the houses, and and we're gonna marry Aegon to 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 her or to her daughter, and now we're here. to this point now it's head to head and you even see it here right she cuts her and what does that look like for rainier what is in this same episode are we rooting for the same girl who just married her uncle i don't know you know what i'm saying like i don't know how to pick per se because everyone is just out here doing some weird shit but i have to say at the end of the day i'm on the side of the dragon that's why i'm here (laughs) i'm sorry i love you I, i love you allison uh, I I think Olivia Cook is killing it. But Rainier is uh what I will say is Rainier's kids act better than Allison's kids. Oh Jace, thousand percent Jason, whatever Luke, JC and Luke, whatever their names. I love how they're the ones that <laughs> try to <laughs> <laughs> JCRI
1: <Jace-ion> li- and <laughs> that black ass
0: <laughs> Black as hell. Uh, somebody gonna name their kid that um <laughs> I, I, I love how they're the ones though that tried to console uh uh Bela and Reina you know what I mean like it wasn't really amen <laughs> you, you know and in 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 the fight also showed clear sides though right you see them come to the to the um the protection of the of the girls and I think that was important too it was like oh the kids are kind of they pick sides really fast and then the parents pick sides really fast in in and, and all of that was embedded in them before right little stuff going in their ears but now it's it's it, it's so clear, and so I think I'm on the side of Rhaenyra's kids, and I'm on the side of the dragon right now. And so until Rhaenyra does something that's just like absolutely unforgivable and ridiculous, I'm on the side of the dragon.
1: Yeah, you know, she she definitely makes it difficult. You know, the whole incest thing is it's strange and weird, but it, it's you know, it's Game of Thrones, what do you expect. Um, and you know, even the relationship and the marriage situation that that's also a little bit weird, but. It was an agreement. They they entered in that relationship as an agreement, her and Lanor So ultimately, what they decided between themselves that that is their decision, and so they just they just fulfilled it. Uh, there was that moment, you know, when Allison approached her with a knife, you know, ready to take out somebody's eye. Renara said, "Exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding beneath the cloak of your own righteousness, but now they see see you as who you are." and i think that kind of speaks to the entire idea behind Allison which is why i am team Renera because Allison has been a bit of a hypocrite lately she wasn't always that way i think she mm-hmm. was again manipulated and raised in a, in a particular fashion specifically by Otto who taught her a lot of specific values and in his you know sort of managed her to play the game in the best way possible smart that's the world that we're in it's definitely doggy dog here but now she's kind of this person because she's representing this this high moral ground, that that's who she claims to be, high mor- morality and decency, but the reality is like, she's hateful, she's resentful, you know, she's definitely yeah. trying to do some harm to others and be physically violent, that's what she's shown herself to be, and so, being a hypocrite is really bad, you know, it, it's one thing right. to like, love somebody, and it'd be kind of a weird family situation, but Hey, sometimes you can't control who you love, and it is what it is. But being a hypocrite, on the other hand, that's a choice. And so, Allison, I do love some of the things that she's done. I do, I do fuck with her as a character. And as you said, Olivia Cook is just fabulous in this role. But uh, Renera, man, it, it's hard to root against her because mm-hmm. she hasn't had that moment thus far where you're looking at her super crazy. But but, but besides the fact of like, yeah, you mm-hmm. fucking your uncle, and now the the whole the whole wires are getting crossed in a really weird way. I can't even explain it. But beyond that, like, you know, that's kind of the one damning thing against her. But let's talk about Rhaenyra and Damon and Lanor and this this whole triangle situation. Lanor, we know, is a gay man, and he entered in the relationship with Ranera as an agreement. He would continue to do what she wanted what he wanted to do. Same with her. They didn't have any children. But now it's 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 kind of a time to really make a a really just a decisive decision on this whole thing. Cause now everybody knows they, they bring it up in that showdown. Viserys is looking appalled. I don't know why that nigga knew he just, he's pretending not to know, <laughs> but it, it's really out there. Nobody can deny it because Aegon was like, yeah, you know, everybody knows. So a decision has to be made. And ultimately Rhaenyra, Damon and Lenor orchestrate Lenor's escape. They, they, they fake his death. They make it so that there are witnesses and they burn a corpse and this is way before DNA testing and we can have that really sophisticated technology. It's just a body that's burnt and dead. So that's kind of the end of story on Lenor. At least that's what's presumed amongst everybody, including his parents. But he's allowed to escape so that Rhaenyra and Daemon can just marry each other. They can connect their bloodlines and do what many Targaryens have done in the past. Because mm-hmm. that's the way of keeping their blood pure and keeping the power within the family. And so... It's off. This is this is really setting up really the rest of what the series is going to be. And Renera and Damon, I presume it's going to be very public now that they are together. They are a mm-hmm. married couple and the power is all within the Targaryen dynasty at this official moment. Well, what were your thoughts on just seeing them tie that union together? And and what do you make of that? Do you see them being incredibly formidable now? Even though Alice side of the family has Vagar, I think probably an even more important decision of tying their bloodlines together in this way and establishing this 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 new dynasty in in essence is probably equally as important to the to the ultimate war that's impending
0: yeah. first i got to talk about before we talk about that marriage is the 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 fake death of lenor um where they pick this random guard on this random day <laughs> and that nigga I'm so sorry to that man. Like, sucks to be him. Damn, that is. That's just a bad day at work, bro. Like, he really just pulled up. It <laughs> <and> got <laughs> toasted. Like, damn. I'm just like so sorry for him. Like, uh, I, I, I can't believe this happened to you, man. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm sad about that guy. But I, I also have to add that this is another one of those things where I have to commend Rainier. Right? I feel like if Damon had presented that to Rainier. Lanor would be dead, versus the way in which Rhaenyra presents it to Daemon, and we see Lanor eventually escapes right with his with his lover, um, in Sir Carl. So I think that's that's also like, man, I, I like Rhaenyra because of that. You know what I mean? That's like another thing Rhaenyra did, and their their marriage, Lanor and Rhaenyra's marriage, was also so commendable to me, because even as it was a pact, you know what I mean? They always, it was hard for them, but it was respectable. Like it was. You know, they really didn't disrespect each other. Lenore was still helping her up the steps versus why well, everyone was kind of looking at her, help her up the steps that she just gave a birth to a child. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't perfect, but I'm not going to pretend like they didn't support each other. That was, that's important to me because we didn't, we don't see that in really any of these marriages. Moving on to Rainier and Damon's marriage. Wow. This might be like the happiest marriage I've ever seen in Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Two people actually get what they want.
1: They actually can be happy, and right off to the sunset. We know that that's not the case, but you're right. It was it was a joyous celebration. I actually
0: I was like, damn, yo, Ain't that this fucked is fucked up. This is fucked up. But I'm I'm kind of here for it's it. It's happy. Yeah. It was so happy. I was like, damn, they. This is actually real love here. They were smiling and. <laughs> I was like, like, have we ever seen this in Game of Thrones ever? I was thinking about all the bad weddings, man. Joffrey and Marjorie, just just so much that like no one, it's either a power play or they're not happy. And this is like the first moment. I was like, damn, I think they actually love each other. Um, There's also the moment during the showdown between the families where Sir Kristen kind of steps up and Damon stops him and the other guards stop him. And there's also another shot where you can see the two families divide and there's Damon on the left side. And then I think it's it's either Luke or, or Jace in in the middle. Mm. And then there's Rainier on the right side. And I was like, Oh yeah, they unionizing. Like Damon is there. You know what I'm saying? Like Damon, you could you could very much see their union coming into fruition before it even went down in that room. Um and, and, and then you go on to this marriage and man, it is it's, it's, it was also, it's so interesting because as they walk on the beach in the beginning of the episode, I love how quickly they kind of bring, bring each other up to speed. Rainier is like, look, me and Lenore we actually really did try to have kids. That shit wasn't working out. So we kind of moved on and did our own thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love how honest she was with Damon. And I think, I don't think she gets that often. You know what I I'm, I'm not, I don't even think she's ever always completely as much as their 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 um, their ties and their marriage is respectable I don't even think she's always she can always be like that with Lenore, but here she is with Damon kind of spilling and catching him up to speed on everything that's going up with him because I actually really love that moment where she was like you left me and he was like well I spared you and, and they're both right in saying that you know what I mean they both are correct and so I love how it's like a a long lost bond kind of being tied up here unfortunately the an easy nature of what George R.R. Martin does in these books is it makes you feel both awkward and comfortable with incest but again in saying this is the happiest wedding we've seen it's like well yeah it also kind of makes sense (laughs) that this is the happiest wedding we've seen because we've never really seen characters like this that are able to get married get married right you could have even talked about um um the, the the twins between Jamie and Cersei, they could never get married. That's not a thing that they had a privilege of doing. But here we have Rhaenyra and Daemon who have the privilege of doing that, and it un- unfortunately it makes a ton of sense. Um, and that's uh, that's but that's also part of the geniusness in which George R. R. Martin operates, I think. Um, but it mean it's huge, man. Like Rhaenyra said, "Fire was always meant to be with fire. I wasn't meant to be with the sea that Laenor was." um and so you know here we are looking looking at this in the eyes of what's powerful now man they got two crazy they got dragons (laughs) you know both sides have dragons now but you know this is it's crazy to see now a purified bloodline exists and how their kids are going to operate with the kids that already exist with them not only that they unionize their kids unionize now right there now they got four whole they got a whole little family kind of working two girls and two boys and i think as again, as fucked up as it is, there's something beautiful about it, and, and poetic about these this Targaryen uh, uh, thing that we see here. So it's all very interesting, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Um, but I, I can't say I didn't see it coming completely either. Um, we kind of seen some of the, some of the the um, some of this be laid, the foundation be laid, in come those some of those early episodes. And so seeing it ha- actually happen is the surprise. But I kind of felt it coming at the end of the day. So Damon's children who were
1: technically Ranera's cousins now just become her stepchildren. Crazy. Because she's she's his niece. Yep. So that would make his children her cousins technically. Yep. But now they're her stepchildren. Yep. And that also makes her children the siblings to his children. 'Cause she already has three kids and he has two mm-hmm. kids and now they're all siblings. I need that meme of the math equation just <laughs> running across the screen. Cause what the fuck is going on? I'm I am just it's crazy. <laughs> I it's cannot crazy. I can't fathom it. It's 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 super complicated. But as you said, uh kind I'm kinda here for it because they're powerful. They're more powerful together, clearly, and they love each other. They always have. She always loved him. She always wanted bad. him ever since. She was younger, and so they just made it official now. And mm-hmm. so, um, man, next week is going to be amazing. Next week will hold the final time jump for this series. We're going to advance, I believe, six more years because the preview shows a lot of these kids grown up, including mm-hmm. Aegon and Amund, who both grow up pretty significantly by next week. It'll be the final time jump before we are in the main timeline of the Dance of the Dragon, which is the majority of what the story is from Fire and Blood. So it's going to be incredibly entertaining. I have no doubt about it. They've been hitting the mark every single week up until this point. No reason that that should not continue to be the case with these final three episodes. But those are our thoughts on Episode 7 of House of the Dragon. If you've seen Driftmark, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think about it. With that being said, let's transition to the news of the week. We've got a few things to talk about, including a brand new official trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We just talked about Black Panther on our recent She-Hulk review. We found out last week that the movie is going to be a lengthy two hours and 41 minutes, making it the second longest MCU film to date. And so we should have known a trailer was going to be on the way because if they're teasing runtimes, that mean the tickets were going to be on sale soon, in which they did drop today. And we also got a new trailer, which showed us many, many shots and showed us a lot of new things, including the very prominent Shuri who's featured heavily in this trailer and in additional marketing materials. We got to look at Ironheart. We saw the suit, a brief glimpse of the suit. We saw a lot more of Namor. There's plenty to look at from this trailer. I think it's definitely a sufficient second trailer to get us equally um, as excited as the first one did, it's not as good as that first one. That first one was a, a true moment, but it's still great. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you, you know, what what was your reaction to it? And ultimately, do you think that they might have shown us a little bit too much? Because there are some things we were curious and wondering about. And it appears we have some very clear answers towards those questions at this point.
0: Yeah, I was Uh, first and foremost, this is a still a very much a beautiful trailer. I don't know who's making these, but they're doing a great job. I absolutely still love the music, the tone. The cuts with the music, they're just really, they're killing these trailers in terms of uh, uh, the production, man. I, I really think they're doing a great job. I will also say it looks, this movie just looks amazing. We we could kind of see a little bit of things before, but there's a, some cool uh, lighting things that they do that I, I really enjoyed um, seeing in the trailer. Um, and yeah, it just, it, it just looks good. It's very much <laughs> getting me excited uh, to see this film. Absolutely, they showed me a little bit too much. I didn't I need anything, personally. That's just, like, me as a person. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, you've already sold us kind of type thing. I feel like, you know, studios have gotten so much into the cadence of things that they feel like they need to show us teaser, trailer, trailer. You know what I mean? I, I, I feel like they're, they're so wrapped up in that where they're like, well, we got to show something in this next trailer versus what we did in the first one. And so them having to go through the cadence was like, well, I guess we got to show him this. We got to show him more Namor. And we're going to show him this this lady silhouette of Black Panther. And then you're like, uh, I guess you could do that. Or <laughs> you could have kept the mystery until the movie came out. Um, it's not the same at all. But I would never stop bringing this up on this damn podcast. When Batman versus Superman happened. <laughs> and they were like, look, everyone. Doomsday is in the movie. I uh, will never forget about that, but 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 here, uh, uh, I kind of like that first shot in that first trailer, where even though everyone was like, "Yeah, it's probably Shuri. Yeah, it's probably Nakia," just because the way it looks, there's it's it's such a small moment that you could say, "Well, anybody could still be Black Panther," but here you watch this trailer and it very much narrows it down for people and and gets the big reveal out of the way, and that's bittersweet for me. Part of me likes the idea that like. We don't have to guess going into the movie who's going to be Black Panther. But part of me likes the the excitement of learning that in the film. Like, I feel like it takes away from my experience of how we get to that point in the film just a little bit. You know what I mean? I would have rather have seen the reveal of the suit in the film. And that happens. The MCU also does that a lot. They reveal suits too early sometimes. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to know the suit yet. I want to know the suit when I get there, um, which is crazy the reason that's so crazy is because they don't fully show Mark 1, Riri Williams here. They don't fully show the Ironheart suit. They give us the boosters and what she looks like kind of, you know, in the CGI uh, uh, rendering of, of her head in the suit. But they don't really give us a suit. I'm like, but you give us the Black Panther suit? <laughs> Why not do it the other way around? You know what I mean? Like, the movie's called, like, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Um So, yeah, it's it's I'm very the trailer was still good. It very much made me excited still. Um, But, yeah, I'm not sure I needed that personally because you already had me sold. And I think that's part of the trailer is like trying to sell people to see the movie. I don't really think you had to do all that anymore. Like, I think the first trailer did it. The the views did it. And so I wish this was like really honestly like a whole minute shorter. It could have been like a minute 10 trailer here, but they gave us another two minute joint. And I was like, dang, that's a lot. So, yeah.
1: The guy who's been editing these trailers is uh, Andrew Hagel. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He did the first one. He also did this one. Um, He was also, you'll never really hear me promote another podcast on the show, but make an exception here because he's done such tremendous work. He was a guest on Fat Man Beyond right after... The first trailer dropped at Comic Con, and I I think everybody just was like, "Yo, this dude, whoever he is, is putting this together. It's just he's different. He's extraordinary." Mm -hmm. And he continues that trend here. This trailer is incredible. The music is great. I I I love the mix of the music. The sound design is just like on a different level here. And we get a lot of new shots, a lot of epic action. You know, we were talking last week about the runtime of this movie, how lengthy and 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 weighty it is, and wondering, well, what's going to occupy that time. Again, I have to double down. I think a lot of it is this Namor stuff. There there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of Namor in this trailer. I think he's going to be crucial and pivotal. The moment of seeing him uh utilize the wings on the feet, really fucking dope cuz uh yeah. that is a mutation. That mm-hmm. is a mutation, people. And um apparently he's confirmed that Namor is a mutant in the MCU. They're on the way. So I love seeing that shot. And I also just know I'm 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 just emotionally not prepared for Whatever this funeral sequence is gonna be that they keep teasing, where everybody has the all white on.
0: I need tissues, bro. I it's gonna be bad. I I I
1: I just I don't I don't know, man. It's gonna be bad, dog. It's gonna be a lot of us in that theater on November 10th Thursday, (laughs) and I'm just gonna have to lean on a brother, on a brother, Mm -hmm. on a brother, because this that's gonna be tough. I just know, I just know that that's gonna be incredibly emotional. It's probably gonna be really long too, Mm -hmm. um, because you have to really. You have to really settle us into this fact that that T'Challa, Chadwick Boseman is gone, you know, and that, that that's going to take up this opportunity. So I just keep paying attention to that sequence. But Extraordinary Trailer, they, they could have held some things back. You know, I think mm-hmm. that they it, on one hand, it's a it's it's a near three hour movie. So there's a lot that we haven't For seen. Sure. There's there's a ton of it that we haven't seen. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, it's like, yeah, you know, a little bit of. Air of mystery is still good. It's still healthy. You know, they they did such an amazing job with the Avengers in-game marketing campaign. I mean, they showed us nothing because they didn't have to. We had already bought in. I, I think that this is a similar case. We we we're bought in as audience because we want to see how they're going to handle all this. We want to see what the future looks like, and so they might be a little bit apprehensive because of the fact that there's this obvious huge void there, and 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 you know, Letitia Wright is being put front and center as as kind of the star of this movie. There, there are no questions like this is going to be Black Panther unless they just are completely mm-hmm. planning to subvert e- expectations. I mean, the woman is at the front of every poster. The, the mask is hovering over her like that. That's clearly what they're pointing to us with 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 this marketing um, campaign. But I think a little bit of, of questions, you know, that, that, that we could have gone into the theater with would have been healthy for the discourse of the movie. That being said, though, man, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what it's going to hold and ultimately end up being with this experience. I can't wait to see how they handled it. Um, I'd also recommend people go read the, the entertainment weekly article that dropped, you know, they talked a lot about the development of this movie, how people were feeling emotionally from all vantage points from Mm -hmm. the, the, the supporting cast and how they had to step up with these increased roles from the introduction of Namor and Talacan and what they're trying to accomplish with that. Just everything there. There's a lot, a lot to learn about the film there, but it's only a mere, Five and a half weeks away, so it's really right around the corner. Can't wait to check it out. In other Marvel news, we have a rumor afoot that apparently Marvel Studios is considering repurposing some of their still-in-development Disney Plus series from series, the six to eight or nine episodes that they've traditionally been doing, to special presentations. Now, we've still yet to see Werewolf by Night. That's going to come out this week, but that will be a Marvel Studios special presentation. That's going to be the banner that they utilize to promote these new projects that fall in between a feature-length film and an actual long-form series. You know, they're not not—they're not going to be multiple episodes that come out weekly, and they're also not going to be feature-length. Werewolf by Night apparently is about 52 or 53 minutes, and so that's what would be considered a special presentation. We also know that recently, as we talked about last week, Armor Wars is being redeveloped from a series into a feature film. Mm. It appears as if a lot of change is happening in terms of how they view these shows. And I know you and I, as we talk about these Marvel series every single week, we question and we posit, could this have been different? Could there be more episodes? Could there be less episodes? Could we rethink the format? I think that they've reached a place and the point that they're also considering this. And so this rumor is coming out of cosmic circus It's not necessarily validated just yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if this were true just based off of that armor war, armor wars news that we just got, that they just changed up the entire format. What, what do you make of this? Do you think that this is like something you would encourage? Maybe less is more. And, and if so, are there any projects on the horizon that would have been full length series, long form series that you think could possibly fit a little bit better under the special presentations banner?
0: Hmm. That's a good question, man. I think that seeing how I I really like the idea of special presentations. I didn't even conceptualize it until the Werewolf by Night trailer came out. I was like, huh, they might have something here. Um, And and, and that's really interesting. And so seeing that, you know, they may be, you know, repurposing some of their their upcoming Disney Plus stuff. I think some things would absolutely benefit from that, right? We kind of talk about, um, we we talked about uh, uh, what's we call at the top of this episode, um, Hocus Pocus two at the top of this episode, where we uh, we understand that it's something that came out on Disney Plus for a reason. It probably wouldn't have done great in theaters, nor is it. Does it really make sense to be a TV show? I think, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine. Imagine if Moon Knight was a special presentation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm thinking of stuff that already happened. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if something like Moon Knight was a special presentation. You even said, um, while we were, we were talking about our Moon Knight reviews, you you specifically said you would have, you you all, usually, like nine times out of ten, prefer for things like this to be movies. Absolutely. But imagine if it just probably doesn't work in the theater completely, which I imagine it right. wouldn't. Moon Knight probably wouldn't. But as a special presentation, that shit sounds genius to me. <laughs> I'm like, huh, that that makes a lot of sense. And so when thinking about that, I can I can absolutely see if if maybe they're rethinking certain things for that. I think there are certain heroes where they may not fit the Disney Plus TV show completely, nor may they fit the the... Uh, the theater completely in the special presentation, exactly where it fits. Werewolf by night is a, Oh my God, what an amazing first example of that, right? We have to wait and see what the actual product looks like, how the quality in which it turns out. But the idea is absolutely there, man. There's little, like little projects that have been happening in which I feel like that can happen. And so if, if I don't know that there's a character that you want to explore I can see see uh, a lot of realms in which the special presentation makes sense. Absolutely. So uh, I don't know what future projects could could that be. Even as we're talking about Secret Wars in my head, that makes sense as a special presentation. Um, because I talked about, I don't know how that works completely on the big screen um, for people, uh, you know, where Don Cheeto hasn't really been put on that platform as, <laughs> you know what I mean? As a person to, to, to lead that, specifically his character, I mean, and so, Yeah, I'm not sure, man, but I can definitely see how that can be purposed into something a little bit better.
1: Yeah, I think it's a smart move. I think they should be reconsidering and and reevaluating all of this. They should also reevaluate the amount of episodes that they produce. Uh, Let's let go of six. Let's let that rest and die and and, and not do that again. But if they're going to repurpose stuff into maybe shorter form content and, and maybe focus things that are, again, not feature length, but also not equipped to handle multiple episodes... The first one I'm looking at, just because I know the least about it, Mm -hmm. in terms of as a a show and as a character, the still yet to be officially confirmed Wonder Man series, whatever this Uh, is going to be. I don't know who this is, and I don't know how you're going to draw out six, seven, eight episodes of it. But that sounds like the first thing that you can put up is like, okay, maybe maybe an hour long story about this new character is more fitting than asking people to invest on a weekly basis into somebody that really no one knows about that. That kind of seems like the first one. I don't think they're going to do this, but if I had to also make a suggestion, I think Agatha Coven of Chaos could work equally Mm. as well next Halloween or whatever Halloween it's supposed to come out. I think it's Mm -hmm. supposed to come out like winter 2023 into 2024 so it's being designed as a series for sure katherine Hines amazing so i i i don't doubt that she can she can maintain and hold an entire series for herself there's a lot there that they could explore but if they want to lean into these holiday specials like they are then then maybe that that's one that they can look into as like a halloween special act of the coven of chaos there's other yet to be confirmed projects that we don't know about there's an untitled wakanda series let's keep that a series because there's plenty to do there There's also an unconfirmed Ten Rings something. I don't know if that's a movie or a series yet. I I remember hearing about it as like Mm -hmm. a a spinoff from Shang-Chi, but there's contenders. And and as you said, there's just like characters out there who they haven't even introduced us to yet in the MCU that could possibly get these things. I would also challenge maybe they can look at previous characters that have already been introduced and give them special presentations like Mm -hmm. as a way to spin off from what they've done. Like if we don't get season twos, of a lot of these shows. Cause it's just unclear as fuck. Like Hawkeye, maybe Kate Bishop gets a special presentation, you know, maybe, maybe from, um, I don't know, Moon Knight, as you said, they can do instead of like a full second season, maybe what's the ultra ego called? Not Mr. Knight, but the other one, I can't remember the, like the, the real like sinister one. Whatever his name is, maybe that can be a special presentation. You know, I think that there's ways to get really creative with it that they can explore that format. So I'm excited about this news. I think it actually will serve them well and and really make them and force them to think about like what's the best way to deliver this, whether it's theatrical, within a series, or within like just an hour long special. We got more Marvel news. We just found out. Michael Waldron, the writer of both Loki and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, is officially going to be writing the script for Avengers Secret Wars, which is pretty huge. They've yet to confirm a director. That's really the last big piece of the puzzle that we have to find out. But things are coming together. They are moving on a lot of this stuff, man. I think uh, Fantastic Four, Kang Dynasty, and also Secret Wars. <laughs> they're all being developed literally right now at the same exact time which uh wink wink should tell you something about these respective movies but <laughs> now we have a screenwriter and um it's interesting because with the king dynasty jeff loveness i think that's his name is writing the king dynasty he wrote ant-man and the wasp Quantumania, so there's there's clear connective there's tissue there mm-hmm. michael waldron low-key dr strange in the multiverse of madness it adds up it tracks um, what do you think about this decision? You know, do you think he's the right person to write it? And also, you know, I, we we gonna circle back to it until they tell us who 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 comes in and directs it. Who who's the final piece of the puzzle that brings this this film to life?
0: Man, I still don't know who directs this movie. Man, I think they're not necessarily in a pickle, but I think they have enough like just so many people to pick from that would would, would still fit this 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 narrative here. But man, um, Michael Waldron, yes, I think. Those are we were talking about Loki, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness um, and, and now Secret Wars. These are, you know, projects in recent memory, at least that we like. <laughs> I don't know about everybody else, but we we like Loki and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And I think that speaks a lot to his capability of, I think, somewhat subverting expectations. Right. Like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is a controversial film on the critic on the criticism side of things. And I think that's good. I think that conversation is good. I think being able, again, to subvert expectations expectations is good, and so I'm looking for that in Michael Waldron coming into Secret Wars. Many of us have uh, know about Secret Wars or have read about it. If you're really dirt deep into uh, Marvel nerdum, you know what to kind of expect within Secret Wars. But I think he can take it and adapt it in ways that that we're not um, exactly looking for. And I think, uh. uh Yeah. And I really like what he did with Loki as well. And so I'm, I'm definitely, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think they have something with him. Um, uh, as to again, who directs it? Woo. I don't know. (laughs) That's one that I think we, we have to continue to sit on for a little bit to maybe, um, yeah, to figure out because, this is a behemoth, right? This is one of them movies that once you pick it up, you're going to end up like the Russo's, man. You're going to have gray hairs and you're going to start aging <laughs> rapidly. Shoot, it's. it's and
1: making <laughs> shitty movies afterwards, right? <laughs>
0: like, like <laughs> you're going to use all the sauce. Like, be ready for your career to potentially be over after this. Like, <laughs>
1: yeah. all your creativity, leave it all at your, Marvel because you ain't going to have it nowhere else after that. Jesus. All your
0: energy is going to be gone. Um, And so, yeah, it, it. but it has to be somebody who. I'm, I'm going to keep saying it, bro. Who has the care in in and you know is going to put that into it? Because I can see that with Michael Waldron. So now we just need a director that's going to match his energy. But I'm still on the fence as to who that's going to be.
1: And and the stamina, because it is a behemoth, as you said. I do like the fact that they have like two completely different teams working on these movies. I like the fact yes. that different writers, different directors for both. You know, like you said, Russo's and then also Marcus and McFeely also wrote avengers infinity war and avengers endgame so mm-hmm. it was those four plus kevin feige just going crazy for years and um you know barely made it out on the other side of it but i like the fact that there's two different teams here michael waldron makes a ton of sense as we we continue to think about this i know some people have groaned at this news they're there you know there's probably not as many fans of doctor strange in the multiverse of madness as one would like to think. And he did write that film. And so one could look at it and say like, Oh, wait a second. What is he going to do here? Mm-hmm. But you, you just have to look at the pieces, man. It, it it really adds up. Like he's been threading this multiverse concept through this saga as, as really the shepherd of it all. The low key stuff, the Dr. Strange stuff. And I, 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 I agree. I think he did so successfully. Those are really my two outside of Spider-Man no way home. Those are my two favorite phase four projects. Mm-hmm. So Naturally, seeing this, I'm like, I'm super excited about it. But um, the 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 combination with the director is going to be, you know, really valuable. I still think it's Ryan Coogler if he wants to. They I probably offered it to him.
0: <laughs> it was Ryan
1: I can see Coogler turning it down, just full stop. Like I'm, I'm really good because I just emotionally went through a lot. Again, if you read that Inter- Entertainment Weekly article, he was. He was questioning if, not only if he would direct for Marvel again, but if he would ever direct again, period, after the death of Chadwick Boseman, which I, I get, you know, after mm-hmm. after what he had to endure. So the idea of sticking around Marvel, he probably just doesn't want to do that. And he he's becoming a mogul and expanding his empire on a producerial capacity. But he feels like the one to me, you know, especially if they keep it in house. But we will have to see. We're out of the world of marvel now we got some other news to talk about we just got the first trailer for emancipation will smith's new movie that's going to be coming out this december it'll be debuting in theaters december 2nd and coming out on apple tv plus on december 9th will smith has been largely quiet since the incident at the academy awards earlier this year Ooh, everybody knows what happens um he did release an apology video a few weeks ago you know sort of explaining where he's at now and how remorseful he was this is the one project that didn't you know, sort of gets shelved or canceled because it was already filmed when all that stuff happened. Uh, it's directed by the great Antoine Fuqua. Um, and again, this is going to have a, a dual release, so to say. And, and it, it's, you know, it's taking us back to the times of slavery. Um, he, he's notab- noticeably portraying the slave. I'm sure many many of us who listen to this podcast have probably seen the photo of of the slave in which the photo was taken of his back. And you can see the whip marks mm-hmm. on his back, which, you know, it's really horrendous to look at. But that's one of the most iconic photos from that particular time because it just showcases the brutality and the, and the inhumane nature that they were treated during that time. That is the person that he's portraying in this film. Um, I mean, how does it feel to see Will Smith, you know, sort of leading another movie in, in front and center in a trailer? You know, we'll, we'll have to see how the movie actually turns out, but after everything that's happened this year, how does it feel to see him sort of back in the limelight, even though it's temporary?
0: It still pisses me off, like, that he's, that this happened to him in the first place. We have I have to keep making the comparison, but Ezra Miller's over here doing the craziest shit, and <laughs> nobody flash what? Okay, but this dude's getting blackballed for, I it's just it's it's our black blacklisted. This is ridiculous. I man, the, the racism in America is crazy, boy. Um, I, but I'm very happy to see Will Smith though. Absolutely, man. He's been one of my favorite movie stars for such a long time um and to to see that that treatment come from him has been so weird because we've also been talking about uh uh those people that you go to the movies just to see them you know we've talked about that a lot we talk about Tom Cruise is one of the only people still doing it but Will Smith was there for a while and he kind of lost a little bit of momentum um and, and I'm looking for him to gain that back I kind of wish it wasn't this, <laughs> <another> <laughs> this this random ass slave movie. Like I thought we were out of this era of slave films, um, because I I just can't imagine they're bringing anything new to the table when it comes to this movie um, that hasn't already been done before, right? Like I feel like I got what I needed out of the Django's, you know what I mean? <laughs> and like movies like that, I feel like I got what I needed. Cause I, I like Django a lot, but. um uh, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it's good to see him again. I will say the cinematography looks nuts to me. Um, what I've never seen done, I'm, first of all, I'm a sucker for black and white movies. But if you look at the trailer, what they did is they slightly turned up the greens. Like, like just ever so slightly. They said black and white, but turn up the greens a little bit. And so there's a little green hue that you can see either in the trees or the grass or whatever greens exist on the screen. You can kind of see them. And that's interesting to me from a from a, a a visual perspective. So part of me just wants to watch it for that and for Will Smith. I'm going to watch it regardless. But I didn't expect to be an emancip- Emancipation Slave movie. But, again, still happy to see Will Smith.
1: Yeah, for me, it's really because I'm, I'm just such a lack of interest in Slave Slavery-focused movies these days, but listen, Will Smith plus Antoine Fuqua—I, I, I'm I have to watch you it. I love Antoine it. Fuqua. Okay. I, I love everything he does. He's—he's he's just such a talented director. Has had a really long and versatile career. Mm-hmm. People sleep on him. I, I wish his name was more present, more often, because he's Agreed. directed like some bangers. Like even outside of like the most notable training day like we all know he made Mm -hmm. that it's like oh yeah but the dude also made like shooter and he made the magnificent seven and Mm -hmm. he has a really versatile career yeah southpaw i really really enjoy that movie crazy movie so Mm -hmm. he's good man so i I can't wait to see what ultimately it looks like although as you said i wish it probably was a different story but that being said man you have world-class actors and filmmakers behind this so will be watching when it when it debuts in theaters and on apple tv plus and in our last news item we have some news about the next planet of the apes movie we got an official title it'll be called kingdom of the planet of the apes and coming from 20th century studios they say that quote a new saga begins kingdom of the planet of the apes picking up many years after war for for the planet of the apes end quote so we now know This is taking place well after the most previous film. It will be a continuation of that story. Spoilers for War for the Planet of the Apes. Caesar dies, so he presumably (laughs) will not be a part of the movie unless they do some sort of flashback or whatever the case may be. There's going to be an entirely new cast, and I think you have to just surmise that based off of the title Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes and the fact that it takes place many, many years after the, the most recent film, seems like the apes probably have fully taken over at this point. Mm -hmm. They, I would say are likely the dominant species in this world now, which we've all wanted to see. They, they've been teetering that line as as their power has grown more and more over the course of those films. But are you excited about this? Do you want to see a fourth one after that trilogy? I think, I think wrapped up really, really nicely. I I think the second one is likely the strongest, but the third one was really satisfactory and, and, and had some really valuable stuff in there. But do you want to see them continue amongst this main timeline? And what do you make of the fact that, you know, it's going to take place many years after that most recent one?
0: First of all, the, the first three Planet of the Apes, well, I shouldn't say the first three, but these recent three Planet of the Apes, it's probably one of the most, like, underrated trilogies that we have in today's realm. Like, we just don't talk about them enough, I don't think. Um, and I'm just going to miss Matt Reeves, to be honest. Um, the the dude got it. He still gets it, right? We love Batman, but the dude, he also just got Plenty of like he understood what needed to be done with these films, I think, and so uh, at least with those, with those previous two, and so man, I feel like going into it, part of me is going to expect that, you know what I mean? But but Wes Ball's coming in here from, I think he did the Maze Runner, right? Isn't he's the Maze yeah. Runner guy? He did the Maze Runners, and I actually really like the first one. I don't know about the other two, other two, uh, but I really like the first one, and I think he's a capable filmmaker. Um, but you. This is one of those things where it, it's—I don't know—it's a big task. It's a tall task to stand up to, but it is. He has done adaptions. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Maze Runner is adaptions. and Planet of the Apes, in some form, is 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 somewhat a, a, adaptions to stories that existed before. And so, I I'm very much excited to see more Planet of the Apes if there's a story to tell there, which I think there is. I'm interested just because I like lo- I love the world that exists in Planet of the Apes. I'm okay with it. Um. Yeah, I'm okay with it. I'm I'm actually pretty excited about it because I love Planet of the Apes. I'm just a little. I have to be a little bit wary of us going from Matt Reeves to West Ball. But other than that, I'm good to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, the first original Planet of the Apes series had like six movies, you know. So there was (laughs) they did plenty. Now they got they got more ridiculous over time, you know. You can you can look and see they they started to they started to age up and and just kind of jump the shark, but. Um, I think that there is more here you know we we, we never saw the full takeover it, it was it was inching closer and closer towards that every movie but that's kind of the brilliance of that most recent trilogy the fact that they took their time they didn't like all of a sudden by the second movie the apes are the dominant species no that wasn't the case like mm-hmm. it was the dawn of the planet of the Apes like we saw the 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 opening moments of, of what this what this was going going to look like and then there was a war with the humans in the third one and you know mm-hmm. a huge conflict there but if we're fast forwarding and doing a big time jump, then it now seems like we can we can arrive at that place. This is always going to happen. I mean, Disney acquired 20th Century, so it was just a matter of time until they figured out like, what are we going to do with this IP? It's valuable. It makes a lot of money. So how are we going to, you know, mm-hmm. integrate it into our future plans for content? And so they figured it out. It's going to be here in 2024. I'm, I'm excited about it. A little apprehensive, yes, because of the trade-off, but ultimately this is a franchise I really enjoy, so I can't wait to see what they do. And before we wrap up here, We'd be remiss if we didn't mention Coolio, who just passed away this past weekend. Um, he was 59 years old, a very young 59. Um, apparently, passed away due to cardiac arrest. I think that they still have to confirm some details, but that is what they are saying right now. But Coolio, man, he was uh, a pretty noticeable figure from the 90s in, in terms of hip hop, but really pop culture as a whole. Um, his most successful song is, is Gangster paradise which was you know accompanied on the dangerous mind soundtrack featured the great michelle williams in that video it, it blew up it was a instant hit but it's remained and sort of you know held its its staying power like if people go on youtube and look at gangsta's paradise the video has like a billion views so it's one of the most viewed music videos probably ever at this point but You know, he wasn't he wasn't around for a long time in terms of his hip hop career and relevancy, but he did leave a mark. He certainly was impactful. Everybody knew Coolio's name. Everybody knew what he looked like. Everybody knows Gangsta's Paradise and maybe a couple of other songs. And it's really sad to see him go, especially at such an early age.
0: Oh, here it goes. Man, this dude will always have one of the most iconic TV show intros of all time with Kenan and Kel, man. I know every word. And he, you said it, man. He didn't have to make a ton of songs to be an icon, to be a legend. Um, and that's you know what what he was in the end of his days. And I think we'll always remember him for that. And it, it, it's crazy to see the mark that he's he's still left on hip hop, man. When when you see somebody pass and just you see the reactions from everybody, there's people I just didn't even expect to know Coolio. I'm like, damn, you know who Coolio is? They're like, Yeah, I know who Coolio is. But it, it's also interesting because if you watch just random things in pop culture, whether it's random TV shows, you always his name always pops up randomly. Or at the end of an episode or something, it's like "Gangster's Paradise" is on. It's like, what the heck is going on here? In fact, I think we use "Gangster's Paradise" in the trailer for our show, like the very early trailer for our show. I think "Gangster's Paradise" is in there somewhere. So it's 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 just crazy to hear um, another one of our legends passing away at such an early age, man. It's really sad. I need we really got to figure out. Uh, uh, we're st- we're still figuring it out. We're getting better at it, but I, I really need us to figure black men in particular to figure out our health. Um, it's, 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 it's definitely looming over our community, but sad, sad we lost to man, but a legend, um, for sure. And I'm a, I'm a always bump Keenan. Now I'm a bump Keenan and Kale theme song a couple times for him. Um, but yeah, man, he, he, he will definitely be missed.
1: Yeah. That, that, that was one of the most, I think that's one of the things that I liked about him the most though. His catalog in terms of music wasn't as extensive as, as other prominent hip hop artists. He was a fixture in pop culture. You know, he, mm-hmm. he, he, exactly. he, he did everything. He did music and he was in movies and TV. He was in Batman and Robin. I don't know if people remember him like briefly popping up in that movie. Mm-hmm. We don't like to remember that movie, but he was still doing it. He popped up on Keenan the Kill. he did the theme song for that. Like the guy was multifaceted and multi-talented, and so he mm-hmm. left a lot for us to enjoy and to consume over the years. And so as you said, like the health pieces. It's really important, man. It's really it's really important that we keep our eye on the ball there and, and focus in on that stuff, because we we, we shouldn't have to deal with this and, and see these people die so early. But those those are our thoughts and prayers and condolences with all of his family and friends and everybody who is closely associated with Coolio. But with that being said ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for this big big episode of two black nerds thank you again for tuning into another podcast we will be back later this week to talk about she hulk attorney at law the penultimate episode is coming out this upcoming friday so of course as we have been doing we'll review and recap everything that happens as we slowly but surely get to the finale of this marvel studios original series and we'll also be back next week because we got a chat about werewolf by night that's right the marvel studios presentation drops this week on disney plus so we'll be reviewing that we also have to talk about the brand new film amsterdam starring christian bale john david washington and margot robbie with a star-studded supporting cast and as usual we'll be recapping episode eight of house of the dragon so definitely stay tuned for all of the stuff we have coming out for y'all but until then we'll see y'all next
0: time yes sir with that being said we are Audi 5000 Please check out our Nerds of Thunder collection at twoblacknerds.com. This is the year 2022 Black Nerds. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to episode 150 of 2 Black Nerds. Where we're 2 black. two nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. movie. be Anything that I want. That would move me next step. I'm on my shit and I'm living with love. Ain't no question. All no. places to my angels above. Take a trip. A couple women. Couple swim to the groove. Set am move to the Rock star in the news. Rockstar you too.